Hi guys, uh, Rob here. Uh, just wanted to do a little note before we get started. This is another episode that we recorded a couple of months ago before our Man of Steel episode with Zaki and our two reviews of The Flash with both Saoirse and Stacey Jean. So if anything feels ever so slightly out of date, that is why. Um, just want to say as well, a few of you sent some lovely messages about those episodes and obviously thank you so much. Always appreciate the correspondence we get, so please keep that coming. Um, Special thanks as well to Zaki Hassan for our Man of Steel discussion and also to Alan's wife Stacy and my fiance Saoirse. Uh, it was amazing having you guys on especially, uh, having discussed you both at length so often on the show. And uh, yeah, and thanks again to everyone who reached out to say they enjoyed hearing them on the show. Um, so we hope to have them back on soon. And uh, now, just before we get started, a few people have asked us about possibly doing an episode about the casting of... Uh, David Corrin's Wet and Rachel Brosnahan for Superman Legacy and we we did talk about doing that uh, and maybe tagging it on to this episode like we did before with um, the James Gunn thing um, honestly between our work commitments and schedules and stuff like that we're, Saoirse and I are flying out on holidays tomorrow Alan's up the walls with work stuff and the fact that we're not hugely familiar with their work as actors we decided it probably wouldn't be worth the time to get together and record a full discussion um, I just wanted to throw in quickly, I'm a bit disappointed that Nicholas Holt missed out on the role. Uh, I think he's an amazing actor. I think he's got so much range. I think he's had a lot of bad luck in blockbusters where he hasn't had a lot to do. But if you look at the other stuff he's done, like The Favourite and Skins and all these interesting movies, The Menu, all that sort of stuff, he's actually a really, really interesting actor and he's got like so much range. He can play all these different roles. I think he's someone who could really convince people of the dual identity of Clark and Superman, which is something the movies and the TV shows have all kind of struggled with since uh, Christopher Reeve departed the role. But as I said, I don't really know enough about David Carnesworth. He could be just as capable. Um, I've seen a few clips. He seems charming enough. Uh, he obviously looks the part, which is a big deal for <laughs> a lot of people. It's never really been as big of a deal for me, but obviously that that, it, that is a, a benefit as well, that he, he does look the part. Um, and yeah, and it's interesting that he's Juilliard trained, as Chris Free was, so more than willing to wait and see. And as for Rachel Brosnan, Saoirse is a little bit more familiar with her work, uh, and she assures me that she's more than capable to play Lois Lane. So yeah, look, uh, I, I'm really, really excited to see what this turns out to be. Um, my only concern right now is, if anyone listened back as far as our James Gunn DCU announcement app, you may recall me saying that... Uh, if The Flash didn't make any money, <laughs> that we could be looking at a very different uh, DCU roadmap. And honestly, that's kind of the situation <laughs> we're in right now. If anything, I'm less concerned about who's playing Superman and what the movie's going to be. And it's more now wondering, is this movie definitely going to get made? Now, the fact that they've announced the casting is very, very promising. But uh, if you if you stay tuned to a future All Star Superfan episode, and uh, we'll be talking about a very very similar thing that happened in the late '90s with a certain actor named Nicolas Cage. <laughs> um, but I mean, I am hopeful that Superman Legacy gets made. Uh, I I feel like it will, but I think everything after that there's a bit of a question mark over it. Um, but in the meantime, what I would say to everyone is just be positive, be optimistic, be hopeful. James Gunn's made some great movies. Um, I personally think he could make a really good Superman movie. I may be wrong about that in the future. Uh, and I am 
a little bit perplexed that he thinks The Flash was one of the greatest movies ever made, but uh, everything I've seen of his films and uh, and his TV work like Peacemaker leads me to believe that he he is a strong storyteller and I think he could make a good Superman movie and I think we should all consider being cautiously optimistic and definitely consider being grateful that they're even making a Superman movie at all. <laughs> Uh, and on the subject of being grateful, don't forget to check out, uh, I believe it's next week's episode of Digging for Kryptonite. Um, my friend Anthony Desiato very kindly asked me back on his show to talk about uh, Superman and Lois season three. So if ever you think I'm too critical of things on this show, definitely check out that episode because I'm the complete opposite. I'm just effusive with my praise for that uh, season it was one of the best superman shows we've ever had and i loved season three so much so you can check out our discussion about that next week so now uh, without further ado please check out this great episode of all-star super fan all about the seminal story for the man who has everything hi this is comic book writer mark wade and you're listening to all-star super fan podcast we talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we know what's happening. We talk, we talk, we talk Superman, and we cover everything. Hello and welcome to the All-Star Superfan Podcast. For the fan who has everything and yet still yearns to know more about the 85-year legacy of the Man of Steel. If, for whatever reason, this is your first time coming to this show, we've got it all. Interviews with the greats, deep dives into the most beloved corners of Metropolis, the most beautiful sights of Candor, and the weirdest, most obscure parts of Capital City, Florida, ladies and gentlemen. I am one of your Kryptonian elders, Rob O'Connor, and I am joined by the ace of Athlone, Mr. Alan Burke. How are you doing tonight, Alan? Mongo! <laughs> Burn. Yes, that is right. We are doing an episode all about the Alan Moore uh, classic for the man who has everything. Uh, Alan Moore and Dave Gibbons, by the way, classic. Um, yeah. For the man who has everything and the various... Uh, TV episodes it has inspired. Uh, before we go on, if you would like to find us on social media, you can do so at All Star Super Fan on Facebook and Instagram, at All Star Super Pod on Twitter, and don't forget to send us an email or a lovely voice note uh, to All Star Super Pod at gmail.com. Uh, before we kick things off, Alan, any any new exciting Superman developments to report on your side of the universe? Not particularly. I was gifted recently with the full. It always comes back to Superboy with the, yeah. with, the with the four seasons on DVD by my by my lovely wife and uh, yeah, I've just really been enjoying watching it on physical media and uh, kind of catching up on episodes that I hadn't seen or that were difficult for me to track down and stuff. Awesome. Um, and obviously, we're going to be mentioning one of those episodes tonight, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you mentioned Superboy there, and that uh, your your wife Stacy gifted you. The DVD box set. I I do feel like I need to point out, Sirsha, my long-suffering fiance, um, has had to put up with me watching a lot of Superboy over over the past year or so, especially since we started the podcast. 
Yeah. And like she watches a lot of Superman stuff with me. She watched all of Lois and Clark. She quite enjoyed that. She's watched bits and bobs of Smallville. You know, there's a nostalgia value there as well. She's definitely watched various movies with me in the cinema and Christopher Reeve and all that. She really doesn't like Superboy at all. <laughs> it, it it really is for the hardcore fans. <laughs> it's a hardcore. And she she said something so funny. She was like, because uh, we were watching it. We were, I was really, really hung over one time and I put on an episode and uh, she was just like, everything I know about Superboy, I know against my will. <laughs> I was like, okay, maybe maybe we won't watch Superboy anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, it, it's, I, great to, it's great to see them all, though. It's, I love, again, I just love holding them, having the box set and watching them. Uh, they're ridiculously expensive to get over are. here to Europe. That's the only thing. It, it's such a pity. It, it's I, not I, a mass market release. Like it's, no. it's a special Warner Brothers archive release, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Because I remember it came out the year of Superman, that 2006 Superman Returns era. and Season like, 1 I, did. Season 1 did. And then what yeah. is it, three or four years before the rest of them came out? No, it was nearly 10 years. It was like, was I, it? I think 2006 was when Season 1 came out. And then the rest of them didn't come out until like 2012 or 2000. I think it was 2012 because I remember yeah. seeing... Yeah, it was a good, good long stretch before they released the rest. Of them because the funny thing about the, the ones that Stacy got me were, is that season two, three, and four are all sealed, brand new on the box, but she could not get season one sealed. Um, mm-hmm. It was like ridiculous money. It was like 160 quid just ordered before you imported it and stuff. So the season one are, are secondhand, um, but yeah. it, it doesn't matter to me. They're, they're, they're still perfect condition. Yeah, that, that season one set is pretty good. There's a couple of uh, really funny commentaries with John. Hames Newton, who's just like taking the piss out of the episodes. It's really funny. And Anelia Sawkind. And uh, there's a good like cast roundtable interview, I want to say, where they're kind of talking about the show a bit. And it's it's a shame they didn't get to do anything like that for season two, three and four. But I just I don't think the audience was there. I think people yeah. just weren't interested. Like, and, you know, all the George Reeves stuff came out on DVD. People bought those, Lois and Clark and all that. But, but for, like, I, I was able to get the George Reeves. I got the George, the George Reeves show for like 35, 40 quid in Golden Discs in Dundrum there in Dublin, like five or six years ago. No hassle picking it up. Same with mm-hmm. like the Batman 66 box set and Blu-ray easily picked it up. Um, and like George Reeves wasn't a big show here either. So the fact that you can uh, get I, that. I, I think it probably was at some stage, like in the 70s and 80s, I feel like I have spoken to people in Ireland who remember watching it here. So it was on the BBC and stuff like that, or it must have been on the BBC because, um, you know, John Byrne talks about it and and stuff like that. So I feel like it must have been a big deal at some point here, um, even though it was obviously never as big of a deal as Adam West, which was still on, you know, in the 90s and the 2000s on TV when I was growing up. So. But uh, yeah, very interesting. J- just so you know as well, I've I've finally started rewatching uh, Smallville from the very start, and it's it's really good. I'm really enjoying it. The season one, that you know, there's a lot of like grounded mm-hmm. character led episodes. A lot, lot, you know, Smallville gets very silly later on. That these are yep. very kind of grounded stories, like that you know that you dealing with kind of crooked cops who learn Clark's secret, or uh, that you know the the snooping journalists from the Metropolis Inquisitor working for Lex Luthor and all sorts of stuff going on with Lionel and, and level three in the, in the Luthor Corp plant and all that. And it's it's much more sort of grounded storylines. Um, there's that great episode with Tony Todd. Uh, yes. lots, lots of kind of, oh, hey, it's that guy actors showing up in it. Like Amy Adams, obviously, is in an episode. Lizzie Kaplan plays, you know, Tina Greer, the shapeshifter. And uh there's a good few others. Adam Brody is in an episode. Jesse right. Metcalf. There's a, there's loads of these kind of. Oh yeah, that guy before. Jonathan Taylor famous. Thomas. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. You've just reminded me of that. Yeah, Jeepers. Um. So yeah, like it's it's worth watching even just for that. And then there's there's a real kind of so bad it's good factor when 
you know, you'll just be watching this scene and then Enrique Iglesias' hero starts rocking out. Or like there's a bit where Sean Ashmore from X-Men gets Clark's powers and he's walking through the streets of Smallville and suddenly like U2's elevation starts playing and he takes down this mugger that looks like he came off the set of Taxi Driver. And it's, <laughs> it's you know, there, there's a lot of big laughs to be had as well. You know, the show it's it's aged fairly well a lot, like a lot of the special effects still look pretty good and stuff but you know some of the storylines and you know the actors are obviously all way too old to be playing the characters are playing yeah. and yeah the whole thing like lex is like this adult man and he's hanging around with all these teenagers <laughs> it's just a bit kind of is it how old it is, is clark in season one is he 14 or 15 he's 14 in season that's one. ridiculous 14. that man is 45 years of age like 80 and and then lex is you know 21 but like he's kind of acting like he's 29 like because yeah. he's lived this whole life and he's there drinking scotch and he's like I didn't drink scotch or at least I didn't drink scotch properly <laughs> yeah until I was much older I certainly wasn't Look drinking fast, it baby <laughs> yeah if I was drinking scotch I was like pouring it into a pint of coca-cola <laughs> first um but anyway no suffice to say having a lot of fun with that um there was another bit of Superman related uh stuff I wanted to talk never mind totally gone into my head watching a bit of ruby spears as well watched yeah. the hunter episode really enjoyed that and watched uh some animated series superman as well um, i i, I got a box set a couple of months ago well a few months ago now um which is the it's a it's a one box set and it encompasses the 60s batman cartoon 70s batman cartoon Ooh. and the 60s superman cartoon and i kind of got it for the superman stuff because i had vague memories of seeing it as a kid on like vhs and rental you know collections and stuff um but i'm actually really enjoying the batman stuff more so than the superman stuff the superman stuff in it is really kind of thin and not that interesting whereas the batman stuff is actually pretty cool Okay, it's like a continuation of the '60s, uh, the '60s show. Interesting. Uh, also, reading a bunch of comics. I I text you before we started recording. Actually, hmm. DC Universe Infinity has finally launched in the UK. I say that again. It has finally launched in the UK. Now, at the time, I was going, "Oh, great! That probably means it's launched in Ireland as well." Guess again. Oh, uh, because of Brexit and all that nonsense, we are a different country, so we don't get it. And the UK, I think, is like the biggest um, audience for US comics in Europe. So because okay. they're their own thing now and they're not part of the rest of Europe, there might not be a, a version of DC Universe Infinity launched in Europe at all. Because why would they bother? Which is a real yeah, shame, if shame. you ask me, because it's a fantastic service. I do have it. I have the American version and I use a VPN to access it. Mm. And any day now, they might decide, oh, hang on a second, you shouldn't be doing this. But that's how I get it and I pay for it. And it is a little bit fiddly to use it that way, but it is well worth it. And it's such a great service. And it would be such a shame if they didn't launch it here um, because it is it is really, really good. There's loads of uh, old kind of quirky Silver Age stuff. All the There's about 75% of the kind of uh, post-crisis Superman comics are on there as well and you can read them in order and there's big like you can do custom reading lists and it's it's really really great and great what service. kind of money are you talking subscription wise for that oh it's not that much at all I think I think I pay a bit like I think I pay like seven dollars a month or something like that which bad. is which is like five euro which is less than the cost of uh, a coffee here now two so. coffees now or a coffee and a half yeah <laughs> so, but yeah, speaking of which, um, the, the comic we're going to be talking about in depth tonight, I actually have it open on my tablet in DC Universe in front of me right now. It is um, uh, 
Superman annual number 11 from 1985, just barely pre-crisis. Yeah, I want to talk about that too, yep. Alan, it was your idea to do this episode because I think this story means a lot to you. So do do you want to just tell us a little bit about the story and the comic itself? Yeah, so um, written by Alan Moore, art by Dave Gibbons, uh, Dave Gibbons fame like 2000 AD. And I think they worked together on, did they work together on Swamp Thing before this? I, I think they did. I think um, so. Yeah, if you I, if you look up Alan Moore in DC Universe Infinity, all of his the, the individual comics he wrote come up in it, and and Swamp Thing comes up before this. So I'm going to say yes. Yeah, it's pre Watchmen, um, released in 1985, and as you said already, um, it was released as a story included in Superman Annual Number Eleven. Now I kind of grew up with this. Um, it's a it's a book that I had as a kid. Don't know where I picked it up. Um, considering it came out in 1985, it was unusual. My parents must have picked it up at some point. And I just always really uh, enjoy the story. Now, I, I think the story has flaws. And we'll get into that as we go through it. There, there are issues and stuff I have with it. But it is one of those books that throughout the last 25 years or however many years it is, it's probably the most it's probably the Superman story that I return to the most, I would imagine, because oh, it's okay. that kind of it's that kind of story where, you know, like if my wife is sitting down watching hurling or football, hurling for anybody from the States is our national sport. Check it out. It's amazing. Um, it's that kind of book where, you know, it's on the shelf. I just want to kind of a fun 20 minute Superman story um, that kind of hits all the all the feels and stuff for me. And a I fun take, Superman. This is a yeah, harrowing I, I like Superman it. story. It is. It is harrowing. But I just I always enjoy it. I always yeah. enjoy it. Whenever I sit down and read it, I always enjoy it. I love everything about it. Uh, the art is just like this is like exactly how I envision all these characters, like the mm-hmm. super, Superman in it, Batman, Robin, Wonder Woman, the depictions of them here. Um, is is exactly what I always think of in my mind. It's I think it's peak um Superman art. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful book. And it tells a really layered story. You know, if you're a kid, it's just a fun story about Superman being stuck in a dream that he can't get out of. If you're a little more more adult, it reads a lot deeper than that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all about loss. It's it's an emotional battle and physical battle for not only Superman, but the other characters there. And like you said, I love the era where this kind of sits like you. You don't have to know anything continuity wise in order to enjoy this book. And it kind of exists in this nexus of pre-crisis, post-crisis kind of, you know, it's before Crisis on Infinite Arts. But it's kind of like this. I don't know. To me, it almost feels like this kind of a dream era of Superman books or something. Did you understand? I uh, do. Yeah, I, I feel like the way the characters speak and kind of their temperament and the, the kind of emotional um complexity of the story feels a lot more post crisis mm-hmm. but uh definitely kind of the the visuals and the the kind of trappings and the continuity there is a bit of continuity in this by the way but I'll get back to that yeah uh, it, it is very much a bronze age superman story um, yes that kind of like you know post 70s sort of you know it takes itself a lot more seriously than stories you would have read in the 50s and 60s even though it has a lot of the kind of wilder stuff from those years as well but yeah no I, I agree that like I, I was reading it going wow like even the way they're speaking just feels more serious it feels like that kind of post John Byrne type stuff um, yeah for me I I remember watching the the Justice League episode growing up I, I don't think I ever read this before I think I, I they released a trade paperback called Alan Moore in the DC Universe and this story was I 
was was um, included in that. I think a friend from college lent me that, and that was the first time I read the comic. Yeah. But uh, it's not a story I grew up with. Um, I do think like it is. It absolutely is a, a classic. It de- deservedly remembered as a classic, and um, you know that there's a reason it it keeps being reprinted and and keeps being adapted and stuff like that. Uh, and I think you know what. While I do have issues with it. I, you know, you're not, I'm not going to go on this big rant about how it's really bad or anything like that. Like it is objectively <laughs> a really, really good story, a really well-written story by yeah. a, a masterful comic writer. Um, my issues with it are more sort of about my personal preference for who I think Superman is and what his desires would be. And yeah. they're they're less, you know, like, you know, we go back to James DeMatteis and Dan Jurgens and Mark Wade, that they, they all sort of said similar things, which is that, you know, there are versions of Superman that they really appreciate and really acknowledge, even if they are not what they would consider to be the the character that they know kind of thing. You know, that, and that, yeah. that's sort of how I feel about a lot of things in this story um, and the different adaptations of it. And then there's there's one or two things as well that I feel haven't aged or were maybe a little bit short sighted on the part of Alan Moore that I'd like to get into. But ultimately, I, I think it's important to make that distinction of, you know, do I think this is bad? Or do I just, does it not really line up with certain things that I hold dear with the character? And I think it, it it's more the latter rather than the former. Whereas, you know, you'll hear me rant on a lot of our previous episodes where I genuinely think something is not good. I I genuinely think this is really good. There's just certain little nuggets of it that, I, that I, I, I'm really interested to kind of tease out with you um, as we as we go on. And again, like a lot of Alan Moore stories, it seems to kind of concentrate on this you know, Superman as a concept, this kind of deconstruction of mm. Superman, mm. almost, which seems to be something that he is kind of fascinated with. You know, you, you get it with like Dr. Manhattan, with Miracle Man, and obviously with this Superman story. Have and you read I'm, Miracle Man? Yeah, I, well, it's, it's been a long time now, but I have, yeah. Very good. Um, and, you know, even his 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 other Superman stories, like um, um, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow, that kind of stuff, you know, all kind of deals with these same kind of... Um, um aspects of the character which which i find i didn't find as interesting when i was younger but i find more interesting more interesting now and i'm not a huge fan whereas i would be a huge fan of bronze age um uh, batman i'm not a massive fan of of bronze age superman you know i'm I'm really a post-crisis baby um but this this story is just always gravitated i've always gravitated toward this story and flaws and all and we'll get into the flaws of it because i do have issues with it as well yeah, it'd be nice to go back and maybe at some stage we should look at more Bronze Age stuff because there is some really, really good stuff in that era. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's quite a strange era. Like in, in a lot of the Bronze Age stuff, like Clark Kent is a TV news anchor and, and Lana is doing the weather or something like that. And yeah, yeah. Lois is kind of only in it sometimes. And, you know, and like Morgan Edge is there. And, and then there's that whole thing where like Kryptonite doesn't work anymore. And, you know, th- th- there's lots of strange stuff that they do in the Bronze Age, but there's a lot of really good stories. And I... Personally, the Bronze Age Lex is a really underrated version of the character. There's some yeah. really, really cool stuff they do with Lex in the Bronze Age that they, people have kind of forgotten about. And um, the same with Brainiac. Like, Bronze Age Brainiac is what everybody thinks Brainiac has always been, which is the, the evil robot AI version of Brainiac that was created by Marv Wolfman in 1983. Before that, he was just this green alien guy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, definitely keen to get into more Bronze Age at some stage. But let's 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 get into the the story. So do you want to just talk us through what the what the crux of the story is, Alan? 
Yeah, so I mean, we won't go through it scene by scene or anything like that. But yeah, so the crux of the story is is that we open Superman or Kal-El is living a life on Krypton. We don't really know what's going on. Um, he works as a some sort of uh, he works in the field of geology in Can in the Candor Crater. He's coming home from a day's work and he's surprised he has a a, a life day or a birth uh, some an equivalent of of his birthday first day. Um, First day, life day. What's what am I? What's life day? Life day is something else. Life, life day is from Star the Star Wars, Wars holiday yeah. special. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so then, while while this is going on, Batman, Jason Todd, Robin, and Wonder Woman arrive at the Fortress of Solitude, and there's some. I really enjoy the um, character interactions between these characters here. Now they kind of objectify Wonder Woman straight away. Yeah, uh, didn't like that, a, but that's... which is a little bit of a, a sign of the times, um, but. You know, they enter. They enter the Fortress of Solitude. There's a little bit of back and forth, you know, about what um, Batman has gotten him compared to what Wonder Woman has gotten him, and you can see something I I do like about it. Whereas Jason Todd is always kind of this kind of cocky, egotistical character. He he seems like he kind of suffers from a little bit of an imposter syndrome here, where he doesn't know if he's up to the task of being a hero to the level that like Superman is. Well, Did you get that impression. Uh, I, I would say the reason the characterization of Jason Todd is a little bit different to what we're used to here is yeah. what a lot of people don't realize is actually <laughs> J- Jason Todd originally uh, had a different origin and was a very different character. He was literally just, a you know, a a, a clone of Dick. Well, not, not literally a clone, but like the way he was written, he was pretty much written to just be like Dick Grayson. And his okay. origin was really similar. He was a circus acrobat as well. And his parents were killed by Killer Croc or something. And uh, yeah, he he was just this really boring one note character. And then after Crisis on Infinite Earths, uh, they revamped him completely, and they came up with a, the new origin for him, with stealing the hubcaps off the Batmobile and all that. And they made him into a much kind of more uh, roguish kind of you know sh- shitty guy who, who was really opinionated and was mm-hmm. always going off. And as a, I I love Jason Todd. I and I I think yeah, he's a really underrated Robin. Um, so it was cool seeing him in this story. But yeah, it. At this point in his history, he wasn't kind of the Jason Todd we we know and uh, and love. And and for what it's worth, I wouldn't have called that shitty hotline to have you killed Jason Todd. <laughs> I wish they kept it. <laughs> um, but more even kind of uh, alludes to it. There's there's one panel where um on, on when Wonder Woman meets uh, Jason and she's like. Oh, of course, the new Robin. I'm sorry, Jason. You look so much like Dick that I forgot for a moment. So basically saying that they're <laughs> that they're interchangeable. Um, so the three characters enter the Fortress of Solitude, and we get this great splash page where it shows Superman and he's got the Black Mercy plant. Um, I'm sure most people know what it looks like. It's big kind of a how would you describe it? Kind of a uh, it's 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 like a bunch of roses with yeah. uh big Ten- thick tentacles tendril-like vines coming out of it, and then there's these little squiggly kind of uh that they're almost like tongues coming out of the roses. Um and that they're, they're kind of it's so so it, it looks it, it's it's something that both looks inviting and beautiful, but also menacing and ugly, which which I really like. And it's and it's a very iconic image. Um, yeah. I've, you know, most fans will have seen it in some depiction or other, and like we're going to talk about later on, it is depicted in live action as well in in mm. certain shows and that quite well. Um, yeah, quite well. So you know, there's a little bit of kind of investigative work here where they're all talking and chatting and trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, Batman deduces that it was it was um, it arrived for Superman as a gift which he opened and it, it it's attached itself to him and he's basically in a completely catatonic state. And while this is going on again, we switch back to this other Krypton where Kal-El is living 
it's distinguished, which I thought was a nice little mark. The panels are distinguished in red lines. So anytime you see mm -hmm. a panel in, um, outlined in a red line, that means you're in this kind of fantasy world where Kal-El is still living. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's your kind of way of knowing. And I like little things like that, especially for younger audience stuff. It makes that a little bit easier. Um, so Kal-El seems to have no memory whatsoever of Earth. He has, Krypton was never destroyed. He never left. He's married. He's got two kids. Um, like I said, he's working in the Kandor crater. He's kind of just living this domesticated, normal life. Um, and we, we find out that he's got a strained relationship with his father. Jorel is not living his best life in this kind of new Krypton that, that Kal-El is living in. Um, he's kind of disgraced. Uh, yeah. He came out with his uh, his prediction 20 years ago or 30 years ago that Krypton was going to explode when he was a member of the Science Council. Obviously, that didn't happen. And he's never really come back from that. He's never really come back from the shame of that or the embarrassment of that. We learned that Lara has died of, I think it's, they refer to it as the eating disease or the eating sickness. Um that Lara has died a couple of years before. Jarell is a little bit overweight. He's associating with these kind of sect leaders of this kind of council that want to bring Krypton back, want to make Krypton great again. Yeah, they, uh, they are literally just like Nazis, but like they're, yeah. they're fascists. And um, yeah, I, I did find that really interesting. I'm kind of a larger point I want to make about that in a minute, but uh, you know, I, I really like that. Just, just, n not to bring down the um, the quality of the discussion, Alan, but mm -hmm. I'm just looking at the panel here, the the, the kind of building that Jorel lives in. Yes, uh, does it remind you of anything? A candle? I think it looks like a butt plug, Alan. <laughs> I've never seen a book plug, Robin. Describe oh, them to me. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, well, you're a man of the law. You confiscate things all the time. I don't know what you've seen. Okay, uh, well, moving yeah, swiftly along. <laughs> kind of like a candle. Um, so the, the relationship is strained. Uh, Jarrell seems to be kind of fascinated or fixated is probably a better word on his, his career and what's kind of happened to his life. And he's very, very bitter about it. And Clark or Kal-El is struggling to be around him. Um, and there's a nice panel there where uh, Kalel turns to Jorel and he says, sometimes I think you wish you were right. And he's referring to the mm -hmm. destruction of Krypton all those years ago. I think you wish Krypton had exploded after all. I have to go now. And he walks out. And there's just these couple of panels where you can see Jorel thinking about it and then he loses his his temper and he smashes uh, kind of a plant or a tree that's in front of him and he starts crying into his hands because everything is falling apart. And I think Kalel is probably right there that Jorel wishes, almost wishes that he was right and that Krypton had exploded and that he would have kind of, his, his death or his, the end of his life would have been at this kind of top of this pedestal where he had he had depicted he had he had um foreseen it and he was right and he had saved his son or he had maybe saved krypton himself or something like that but he's just kind of spiraling into this abyss of despair do you we think go back. Go do you think on some level as well that when kal-el says you know sometimes i think you wish you were right he's actually projecting his own uh subconscious in that you know he wishes the world is as he were as he knows it to be which is that krypton was destroyed Possibly, um, possibly. I, I, what I, you know, having read this twice now, I think the first time I was like, oh, I don't know about this. But then I was kind of mm. thinking about it and, you know, going back to Alan Moore's deconstructionist takes and things like that. It, it really feels like 
you know, kind of a side angle of this story is, well, if Jor-El had actually lived and Krypton hadn't been destroyed, then we actually have to grapple with what kind of a man is Jor-El, a man who created the Phantom Zone where people get imprisoned for eternity, which comes up a lot in this story. Does. And like, it, they don't really go anywhere with it, but it's almost like the story is mapping out Kal-El's fears that, well, maybe Jor-El was this, was a bit of a kind of a fascist, like an old school kind of guy who, who would deal with these kinds of sinister people who want to restore the old ways of Krypton. And, you, you know, I, I, I found that interesting. And it feels like Alan Moore kind of saying, well, you know, why, why are these things never asked about Jor-El when we talk about Jor-El and the Phantom Zone and the authority yeah. the Science Council had and all that kind of stuff. It never really comes up in Superman stories. And Boomer um, Jor-El has kind of lived long, and, long enough yeah. long enough now. He's kind of lived long enough to see himself become the villain and the things that yeah. he stood for. The, the, you know, the, the younger generations are, are rallying against him and he can't take it. He, he can't handle it at all. And it's an interesting take because I've never, you know, you always see, you always have this kind of, Marlon Brando vision of of Jor-El, you know, this mm. all-knowing, all-wise man. And, um, you know, that may not be the case. And I, I tend to not like depictions of, and we'll talk about it briefly when we, we talk about Krypton, the, the TV show later on. I tend to not like depictions of Krypton as like this bleak, nihilistic almost, you know, mm. place. But I think the balance here is, 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 is done quite well in that I don't want it to be absolutely perfect either. No, no. Because, because if it was perfect, people yeah. like, you know, Zod and that wouldn't have rebelled and trying to overthrow the government. It, it has to have its issues in order to make it interesting. And for it to explode. <laughs> and for you it know, to explode. It, like, there needs to be some sort of conflict there that that uh, results in, the, you know, in the movie, it's that, that, that they're so vain that they don't believe anything could happen, which is yeah. what we're seeing that happen right now on Earth. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, the, as you say, there there needs to be some form of of conflict there, but but whether it's you know that this total dystopic kind of RoboCop planet, you know, you're kind of like, oh, do I want that either? I don't know. Yeah. So the next few pages are concerned with it's kind of a, a James Bond villain type um, uh, reveal uh, where Mongol. It turns out Mongol is in the Fortress of Solitude. Mongol has sent the flower this 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 what's the word i'm looking for not a symbiotic flower but this kind of parasitic flower mm. um to attach itself to superman he has then followed the flower he sent it through some kind of teleportation device he's followed it to the fortress of solitude and over the next couple of pages he explains his entire plan james bond style to uh batman wonder woman and and robin um where he explains that superman has been th this parasite has attached itself to superman and it feeds basically on his life aura. And while in order to keep him kind of sedated, what it does is, or catatonic, it feeds him a desire life. His, his ultimate desire is is what he's now living in order to keep him, you know, placid. Now, what do you think about that? Now, this is this is where me and the story kind of come to blows a little bit. Um, okay. I, I, I definitely appreciate that, you know, this is a fantasy that, Superman might have is you know what would my life be like if I just mm -hmm. lived on Krypton that's that's fine and it is something he would wonder about yes um you know my fiance Saoirse is a child of adoption so I talk to her about this kind of stuff all the time in terms of you know and she was I I was really really keen to get her opinion on this story overall 
um, because, you know, she does wonder about stuff like that a lot. Um, but my, my problem with this story, specifically the comic, has always been, you know, we're told that on the very first page, we see Clar- or Kal-El's perfect life on Kandor, and it literally says the words, he is content, meaning mm-hmm. like this is perfect happiness for him. And I'm kind of like, well, I mean, is that is that the thing that's, that would make Superman like perfectly happy would be to just never come to Earth and just live on Krypton and, you know, never have the wonderful life that he had on Earth. You know, there's no Jonathan Martha Kent. There's no Lois Lane. Like really, when it when it all boils down to it, he just wishes he was back on Krypton. Yeah. Like I'm kind of like that, that just doesn't quite sit right with me and the version of the character that I really, really like, you know, like even. The Christopher Reeve version, you know, he he chooses Earth, he chooses Lois. You know, you are here for a reason. He defies his father. He goes back, he turns back time and all that. You know, obviously Lois and Clark, it's this wonderful love story where he meets Lois Lane and he has the best parents in the world and stuff like that. It just, you know, I think as an adoption story, Superman is the ultimate adopted adoption story. You know, he mm-hmm. he, he he comes to the new world and he is adopted by these beautiful people who are the best parents in the world. And he loves his new life. Like he he has a fulfilling life on Earth. Um, yes. So I, I just it, like it is absolutely a Bronze Age thing. Like Superman was very a lot of those stories deal with how lonely he is and how much of an outsider he is and stuff like that. Um, those themes for me, like it, they just never really like Superman isn't Spock. Like I just I've never like he grew up on Smallville, he grew up on Earth. And yes, he feels a little bit removed but, from humanity and that he has powers and, you know, he can't quite understand what it, he wishes he could be a normal person. But I don't think that he's kind of sitting around wishing that he could be back on Krypton. It just, it doesn't. And when we get into the adaptations a bit, I, there's there's stuff I want to talk about with those, but I, I that, that that's the only thing with the comic is that the, the idea that this is the thing that would make him truly happy would be to never come to Earth and just live a life on Krypton. It just, it feels more like a different character altogether. It feels more like a Dr. Manhattan type thing. Um, would it, is it is it a case that it's fulfilling an unquenchable want or yearning mm. to know what that life would be like? That's like, interesting. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. You know, and, and I completely get what you're saying because mm. what you're saying kind of addresses an issue that I have with it that I'll bring up in a minute. But is it that you know, no matter how happy Clark is on Earth with Lois or with Jonathan later on in, in decades to come or whatever, is it a case that deep down inside, now I'm not adopted, so I don't know, is it that there's always this yearning to know and that this mm. satisfies that yearning? Yeah, that's interesting because it's something that he'll never know. So therefore, it's always going to be an unattainable thing. Yeah, I mean, that is like the, the other thing that Saoirse brought up. I was going to, I was going to bring this up later, but you know, we can come back to it was she, she was sort of saying that when you come, when, when you were a child of adoption, you, you, your, your mind is constantly racing through these kind of alternate realities and these I things that, that could have happened and what could have been and stuff like that. And there's nothing wrong with acknowledging the fact that another road taken <laughs> to reference Superboy would might make you perfectly happy. Even if that includes, even if that, um, even if that leaves out a lot of the stuff you have in your life, the things that make you happy, whether it's a loved one or parents or whatever it else, you know, that there's nothing wrong with admitting that like a different kind of destiny could 
completely fulfill you. And once she told me that, I was kind of like, all oh, right, well, maybe, maybe I can kind of accept this then in its own way that, you know, this version of reality does make Superman perfectly happy, even though it's, it doesn't have Jonathan and Martha. It doesn't have Lois. It doesn't have his life on earth at all. There's nothing wrong with acknowledging that there are other things that could make him perfectly happy. And once she kind of said that, I was like, well, that does make sense. Anyway, I'm rambling a bit here. You're not. Just... No, no, it's it's very interesting because I, I think the story isn't really about it, it. It's called for the man who has everything. But mm. I don't think it's really about Superman having everything. It's more about what he can never really have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like I think that goes a bit to tackle like the preconceived notion that Superman is perfect and yeah. nothing can hurt him. And I think it was a way for Alan Moore, especially at this time, I think when everybody was like, Superman is boring, because that's what was going on. There was a reason everything was was rejigged in, in 85. Mm. Um, Superman is boring. You can't hurt him. He can blow moons across the universe and all this kind of stuff or, you know, drag suns or whatever, blow out suns or whatever. Um, and I think it was a way of making him more grounded. Yeah. Going deep down, he just wants to belong. At all. You know, he just wants to know what it's like. Now, you're right, though, because he does belong. He belongs with the Kents and he belongs in Kansas and he, you know, he belongs in Metropolis. And so, yeah, there is a there is a big just, juxtaposition there. Yeah. And it, like, it's interesting as well that both of Alan Moore's famous Superman stories both deal with kind of the underlying inner turmoil that Superman has and it, yeah. you, you can feel Alan Moore trying to find what those are and in this case it seems to be you know the the longing the wondering what life on Krypton might have been and then to a lesser extent in whatever happened to the man of tomorrow like there's that scene where he's grappling with himself well who do I really love is it Lana or is it Lois oh it's it's Lois it's always been Lois and and the culmination of his of his character arc in that story is once he realizes that he truly loves Lois, um, and 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 then you know he kills Mister Mixes Pidlick, who's become this dreadful monster at the end of that story. Then he turns his back on his life as Superman and becomes, uh, just a normal man. He exposes himself to gold criminal. So it's almost like Alan Moore saying, once Superman truly becomes an adult, and takes a wife, meaning Lois, that that that's the end of his journey and and you know you hear you hear alan moore from time to time say that you know well superheroes are two-dimensional they were designed to be you know for kids and stuff like that and then there's that whole thing that i i don't know was it martin scorsese or james cameron said that oh yeah well superheroes are all college students and they don't uh you know you never see them dealing with adult problems like dealing with relationship problems or or kid problems which is obviously not entirely true but I feel like in that story, it's very much a comment on that. It's like, now that Superman is an adult, he can't be Superman anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's totally gone on tangents tonight. It, it, the, issue, the issue that I have with the story, and it's an issue I have with both the comic book and the subsequent, uh, many of the subsequent iterations, mm. is that the foundation of the story is, the structure of the story is that the Black Mercy gives you a perfect, idealized, happy life. Yeah, it's not happy. Yeah, but like it's it's. I was going to ask you about this. Go on. Like it's, I, I think it's unusual that Superman's fantasy is so extremely flawed throughout. His father, why, like if he was happy, why wouldn't Jor-El be this height of scientific success on Krypton? 
he would be very successful. He's got his wife, he's got his children, everything is hunky-dory. But in almost every iteration, there are serious flaws with the fantasy. Now, in, in some of the live-action depictions, they address that, especially in the Krypton one, which I'll talk about briefly later on. But I don't understand the purpose of the of the flawed fantasy. Is the whole idea not that the fantasy is perfect, that you're completely content and happy in it? So my reading of this, and what I do like about the comic is it is open to interpretation. Like, mm -hmm. I, I don't think anything I'm saying is definitely the case. But my reading on that is... On the first page, we see you know, we see that perfect life. He comes home from his job. It's important to note, by the way, in the in the actual comic, he lives in the city. He works for some geological institute. Yeah, and he lives in the city. But we'll come back to that in the adaptations. But you know, the the last line of the first page is he is content. So he's lived this perfect life. But then, as this as the story continues, you know, as you say, we're seeing the, the flaws, the the chinks in the armor. I think those are all manifestations of Superman's subconscious telling him that something is wrong and something's not quite right. right. Something, something's rotten in candor and uh, that all of this might be some terrible trick. And I, I think we see a little bit of that in... Um, I'm trying to remember, does it happen in the comic with Batman then later on where, where you know, Batman's, uh, Batman's ultimate fantasy is that his parents don't die and that, John, or that Thomas Wayne steps up and... Kicks chills up. ass. Oh no, shit! It doesn't happen in the comic. It does happen in the cartoon, though. Yeah. Where, um, you know, as as Batman's fantasy continues, and he hears Diana outside the 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 fantasy screaming for him, he begins to realize that that something isn't right, and then it ends with the mugger picking up the gun and shooting Thomas Wayne. So, I I, I, I that's what I think it is. I, I think all the the stuff about Jor El being a, a fascist and all the riots on 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 Krypton and stuff and and all that that that's all superman's subconscious letting him know that something is terribly wrong and he needs to get out of here yeah because it is it's a very broken and twisted krypton it's not like it's not a depiction well maybe it is i was going to say it's not a depiction of what krypton would have ended up like if it hadn't been destroyed it's kind of this broken twisted version but maybe it would have gone to that, shit socially that, that's that's why i think it's open to interpretation i think some of it is alan moore saying well what kind of man is jorel anyway yeah, but you know, I think if you read the story on a more basic storytelling level, I I, I feel like it's it's Superman's subconscious going, "Holy shit, man, got to get out of here." <laughs> yeah. Um. So the the next few pages, as I was saying, are are an exposition dump where Mongol reveals himself and uh, explains what Black Mercy does. I just want to say I, the art is just stunning. I'm looking at the the, so the image there where. Uh, Mongol is is shouts or says except for one or two minor details it's just the the speech bubble and he's got the gloves on and Batman Robin and Wonder Woman are standing in front of him and just the the, the way Batman is drawn let's bring back more I want more blue and gray Batman I'm a big supporter of blue and gray Batman and I just think this is peak Batman I think he's beautiful um and can, can I ask actually um sure <clears throat> your version of this are, are you holding the original one you had as a kid or what do you what do you good have? question sir i am not holding the one i have as a kid i'm looking i do have it here on my tablet first okay of all. yeah but as well as that i have it here in lovely superman whatever happened to the man of tomorrow the deluxe edition which has three stories in it obviously superman whatever happened to the man of tomorrow uh um for the man who was everything and the uh, Alan Moore Swamp Thing Superman story as well. Ooh. Um, the, which the, is, what's the, uh, the Jungle Line, I think is the name of it. Uh, 
uh, DC Comics Presents 85. Yeah. So um, it, it encompasses, I'm just looking at the back here, Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow from Superman 423 in Action Comics 583, as well as The Jungle Line from DC Comics Presents 85, and for The Man Who Has Everything from Superman Annual Number 11. This is readily available in stores now. I got it in um, uh, Subsidy Galway about a year ago. Um, I think, yeah, around last February, and it's just a beautiful um, book a version of it. I don't have my original. I don't know where that is. But The, the reason I ask is because I, I'm reading it on my tablet here, and, and it's very clearly um, recolored. Like, they've obviously recolored it with with digital coloring, which which they do with all their old comics. Um, and it just occurred to me that I've never read whatever the original comic looks like. Right, which okay. is which is which is a real shame. Like with with older comics, they recolor everything. So, and and they don't um, they don't they don't uh, maintain the the what the comics originally looked like. So we're, we're yeah. seeing it, it's almost like the George Lucas Star Wars special editions. Like we're seeing special editions of these yeah old classic comics. I would love to see what um the original comic looked like is is the, is the point I'm trying to make here. Um, Gibbons's work. And I think Superman Annual 11 is pretty available, still widely available, I think, on eBay and stuff as well. Yeah, I, I looked it up probably. a while ago and I just didn't, once I had it here, I was happy enough with it in the in this in this collected edition. And um, because it does come, you can get it in a number of different collected editions. You can get it in The Greatest Superman Stories Ever Told from 1987, uh, Superman The Man of Tomorrow 1988, Across the Universe, the DC Universe Stories of Alan Moore, which was released in 2003. That's the and one I, yeah. I read that's the that one you time. have. And then DC Universe, the stories of Alan Moore, 2006. Oh, and Superman, a celebration of 75 years, 2014. And obviously the one that I have there. So it's, it's you can get it in a load of different, load of different um, uh, collected editions. Interesting. <clears throat> um, so we move on. Uh, so again, we focus and we examine on this kind of broken Krypton with this. The story kind of takes a dark turn in that uh, Kara Zor-El, Supergirl, uh, who's obviously not Supergirl in this in this version, is uh, violently attacked um, using slash sticks. I think they refer to which I, I, I that sounds extremely painful. Um, but basically, uh, Kalel and his son Vanel go to the hospital to meet with Alora, Kara's mother. Uh, Kara has been attacked. Uh, there's a vendetta against the House of El in relation to what you mentioned earlier on, Rob, the creation of the Phantom Zone and the incarceration of criminals indefinitely in the Phantom Zone by, by Jor-El. And there's a lot of protests going on about this where people think it's torturous and it's inhumane. And uh, But it's, they depict her, she's in a hospital bed, she's bandaged and she's bruised and she's, she's bleeding and stuff and she's got a, a tube in her nose. Pretty violent, pretty dark kind of, you know... They, yeah. they don't they don't infer anything more sinister than that. But you can kind of infer that she was she was badly beaten, at least, you know, so that's that's pretty dark. Yeah, I'm just I'm just looking at some of the panels here after that as well. And literally the uh, the, the old Krypton order um, or the, the sword of Rao, they're called. Mm-hmm. They, they, they literally march down the street in these big red robes with pointed hats. Yeah. And they, they carry these flaming swords and you're kind of like, okay, I know what we're doing here. Like they, they look like the Krypton Ku Klux Klan. Yeah. And then the the sort of um, Krypton security officers or whatever you want to call them. that they've got Justice these... officers. I'm going justice to make a petition. Officers. I want to change our names, my name, my job, justice officer. I loved it. I, 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 <laughs> uh, An atomic guys, town. <laughs> they, they, I, I don't think it's a mistake that, you know, I mean, Dave Gibbons and Alan Moore yeah. both worked on 2008. They look like judges from Judge Dredd. They do. Like it's they really do, yeah. sinister and nasty. Um, so yeah, I really, really like that. Really, really good art. I, I did find it funny though that uh, 
the 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 hover car things that they drive in Krypton. Uh, Some, they're called yeah. floaters. Yeah, they're called floaters. And there's another vehicle that they keep referencing there, a paragondola. Paragondola. That sounds like... And again, I mentioned there's continuity in this. That sounds like something that Alan Moore picked out of the Silver Age, that, that yeah. they were actually probably called that. Um, I, I was going to get to this. Uh, did you spot who Kal-El is married to in this story? He is spotted. Uh, don't ask me her name off the top of my head, but no. He's married to Lila Lerrell, who is um, from a famous Silver Age story, uh, Return to Krypton. Um, I think, I want to say it's Superman 141 from uh, the 60s. It's, it's out of print. Wow. It, the only way to read it is if you can track down a copy of Superman in the 60s, um, Similar to Superman in the 50s is still in print. Yeah. And you can get it I on keep meaning to get the 60s one as well, yeah. The 60s one seems to be out of print and you can't, you can't, you can only get it secondhand, but it does contain that story. It, it's a legendary Silver Age story um, where Superman goes, for one reason or another, he goes back in time to Krypton and uh, he becomes an actor in a movie that's being filmed on Krypton and he meets this beautiful actress called Lila Lerrell and he falls in love with her and uh, he meets, he meets and works closely with Jor-El and Lara to try and save Krypton. It's it's a really, really good Silver Age story. And it's really tragic at the end. Obviously, you know, things don't work out because Krypton explodes and he ends up stranded in space. And he, you know, so and so Lila Lerrell is one of Superman's great lost loves. Um, and he's he, in this kind of fantasy world. He's he's married to her, which I thought was. And, and again, it just goes it's back nice to that whole thing of, you know, Superman isn't in love with Lois or Lana or anyone. He's just he just wishes he had this life back on Krypton, you know, so. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, so they, they Superman and, or sorry, uh, Kal-El and Van-El leave the hospital where Car is. He he calls his wife and his daughter and he tells them basically to go to her parents' house. They need to get out of the city because there's a, a vendetta against the elves. And uh, they, they run into this parade that you were talking about there and they discover that uh, Jor-El is basically the chairman the chairperson of of this um, sort of row organization, this kind of hate group, wanting to to make Krypton great again or bring Krypton back to its old ways. And again, like you said, there you see these justice officers very much like 2000 AD, Judge Dreads. As this is going on, Wonder Woman is locked in a fierce battle with Mongol. Uh, she's using weapons on him. He's taunting her um, about her her inability to to you know hold the the the, the more powerful guns from the the Hall of Weapons. And Batman is trying to figure out what's going on. Now, this leads us in to the biggest issue I have with the entire story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an issue I have with it here and with some of the, the of the depictions that we will talk about later on. Uh, like I said, Kalel uh, spots that Jorel has basically taken the, this position as his chairperson. And he tells Vanel that they need to get out of there. They, they need to get out of Metropolis. They need to go. Yeah. So they leave in their floater. <laughs> They're driving down the highway and Kalel pulls off the highway. He he basically doesn't go the direction that Vanel is expecting him to go. They pull out pull off and they go, they park up in the Candor crater. Yeah. And they get out of the floater, and Vanel is like 10, maybe 11 years of age, maybe. And Kalel kneels down and I'll I'll just read the words of it. He goes, Van, I'm sorry. I just need to come here. There's something wrong. You know, when you get a bad feeling and then, oh, Van, I'm sorry. I'm not talking any sense. You're too young to understand. 
Van says, Father, can we go and meet Mother and Orna? I'm cold. Kalel states, Van, it's it's this feeling. I, oh dear Rao, am I going mad? I keep thinking that. He says, Van, please, I know this won't make sense, but you're my son. I was there at your birth and I'll always love you. Always. But, but Van, I don't think you're real. And it comes out of absolutely nowhere. No, it doesn't at all. It what does. are you talking about? It, it absolutely comes, doesn't. The whole there, point. Go on, sorry. There is nothing, there is nothing before that. There's no depiction in anywhere in the in the book that I can see, and as you can point it out to me, where there's any question as to the reality of what's going on, that it's a fantasy, that it's make-believe, that it's virtual reality. He just, everything, he's dealing with all these problems, dealing with the problems with his father, dealing with the fact that Carr has been assaulted, needs to get his family out of the city. And in the middle of leaving the city, he's like, hang on a second, I don't think any of this is real. I think I'll pull my son to the side of the road and traumatize him by telling him that he's not a real person. And I just don't oh, think God, there's enough. I, I disagree so much. <laughs> okay, let's 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 get to the meat and bones of it. Like what I really like about it is that it is so subtle and that that there's no kind of weird, stupid Star Trek moment where he goes, mm -hmm. huh? like it, it's just this really subtle feeling of unsettling, you know, experiences that he has throughout the story where. You know, Jorel is obviously different to what we would have imagined Jorel to be like if he'd mm -hmm. lived. There's all this conflict going on in Krypton, and we know it's this place of peace and science and tranquility and all this. And that's the story telling you that something is wrong. Like, and then you know, to the point where there's literally, you know, Ku Klux Klan guys walking through the streets and all that. And but it's remember that this is all the manifestation of Superman's mind. So him seeing all this all these terrible events and Supergirl getting beaten up, like that's him realizing, okay, something is seriously wrong. Like if, if there was this moment where he goes, uh, it's, I'm, yeah, like, but I'm not the saying, the story not wouldn't saying, have been as effective. Like, I'm not saying it has to be, uh, but it has to, like there's a difference between subtlety and just, like there's nothing connecting the dots for him. This there is why you like, didn't like the new series of Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, this Kalel has no memory of Earth, of being Superman, of the Kents, of Lois, of Metropolis, of any of that. I understand that. And I'm not saying that it has to be, we have to be bludgeoned over the head with it, with it, with like, like it's a club or something. But there's subtlety and then there's like, like there's nothing there. Like as far as he's concerned, like all these problems exist. This is Krypton. This is the real Krypton. All these are real problems. He's struggling with his father. You can't believe his father's taking this position. Everything's going to shit. But then to pull over to the side of the road and tell your son that he's make believe, I just I think it's such a leap, and I don't think I think there, I think it's missing something. Like in the space of one page, it goes from we're in Metropolis dealing with these riots, we need to get out of here, we need to save my family, need to save my daughter, need to save my wife, to just this diversion, and I I don't see I I didn't see it coming, and it just this on this read I hadn't read it in a couple of years. Well, here, really here's one me. for you. Here's the ooh moment. Okay. On on page six, so we, we go from page five where uh, Superman and Wonder Woman and Robin have discovered Superman in this catatonic state. So remember, Superman's been standing there in the Fortress of Solitude on his own, presumably for hours, okay. experiencing this fantasy life. He is content, we're told in the previous page. Yeah. And then we go from that panel at the at the bottom of page five where Superman is staring blankly into space and we cut to the fantasy world and Lila goes, Cal, why are you still staring out the window? Everyone's gone home. And he says, no reason. That 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 to me is him realizing something's not quite right here. Oh, I think it's I think it's far too subtle, Rob. Even no, even no. if there was some kind of a 
I'm not, I, like I said, I'm not looking for us to be spoon fed, but I just think it's such a leap that he has he has decided that the, his entire existence is make believe. I, I just I'm, think I'm not, I'm not with you on this, but but also remember it's a dream as well. Like in dreams, that's how they work. Like you you make these sudden leaps of cognitive kind of realization and 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 things just suddenly happen even if it doesn't entirely make sense and you know I, true true and i i'd understand like if if they went into the next page and they were wearing different clothes or there was something strange or things like that were not following through but it yeah. just felt to me like that the, there was a page missing it just felt to me like mm. we i had literally missed a page of where something had happened and i didn't like i know it's a fantasy but how does he come to that conclusion himself uh, so much so that he says it to his child. Um, and then we get confirmation fairly quickly then because things start to fall apart. Batman, which which all makes sense. You know, he's breaking he's breaking the fantasy. The, the Black Mercy starts to release its grasp and you can see the fantasy falling apart, which is, to be fair, a heartbreaking scene, you know, where he's saying to, to Van, you know, I love you. I'm never going to forget you. It's so uh, heartbreaking. And and what yeah. I really like in all the versions of, well, in, in this and the cartoon specifically, um, Van is the only element of the fantasy that stays perfect. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that maybe Lila is as well, but we don't really see her throughout the story. Where, where and she's all omitted other, in all the all, other depictions. All these other things are crumbling around him. And in the, in the cartoon, it literally things crumble around him. But Van stays perfect and he stays this perfect little memory, this encapsulation of everything he's never had. And he has to sit down and tell him that he thinks he's not real. Like it, it is absolutely heartbreaking. It's a great scene. Yeah. Very good. And at least in the cartoon, we'll get into when we talk about that. At least with the cartoon, they get to hug. In this, they don't even get to hug. He, they do. You know, they, Looking they at him don't. here, they, they hug. He says, Father, oh, he do, yeah, he, he they do him. there. But then at the end, when he, Van is saying, I want to see my mother, I want to see Orna, mm-hmm. and 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 Cal says, I'm losing you. And they, they reach out for each other and their fingers just don't meet each other. I oh, just, I know what I, you mean. Yeah. I find they're, that so heartbreaking. They're, they're separated when, when it finally yeah. comes to an end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just thought that was. So the Black Mercy comes off and it, uh, like you spoke about earlier, it, it, it attaches onto Batman. And we start to see this kind of fantasy with uh, Batman where, where Thomas Wayne has subdued Joe Chill. And um, I think... I think it is. I think it's no, they don't refer to him as Joe Chill, but you know, we know him as Joe Chill. And we get some of my favorite parts of this book, then, which is the rage of Superman. You know, who did this to me? And like I said at the start, he, he shows a great uh, panel where he shouts Mongol, and the, the word Mongol is, is yeah, splashed across behind him. It's such a, an iconic image. And again, another thing I love about this book. It's the depictions of him like flying or moving at super speed. This is a great uh, panel there straight underneath that one of him taking off. And you can they they describe how Mongol can hear him coming and he's trying to think what to do. And he just doesn't have time because Superman plows into him. And there's this epic Titan on Titan battle between the two of them, um, which is kind of separated with this kind of comic relief of Jason Todd trying to figure out what the hell to do with the black what to do with the Black Mercy or how to get it up to the floor that they're on. Yeah, Jason um, Todd is great in the story, actually. Really, really enjoyed him. Really enjoyed Jason Todd in this. Um, and you've got, you know, like you said earlier on, Superman, you know, burn and he he burns. Oh, one of the best lines in the, in the entire book where Mongol says, happy birthday, Kryptonian. I give you oblivion. I thought that was beautiful. I loved it. And uh, Superman uses his heat ray vision on him. The fight continues on. And eventually what happens is that they attach the uh, Jason Todd basically throws the the Black Superman Mercy. first of all gets gets Mongol down and he's he's ready to to hit him to death blow and he gets distracted when he sees the statues of Jor-El and Lara holding up Krypton and Mongol 
uh, takes uh, takes the advantage. But Jason Todd throws the the Black Mercy from an upper floor down onto Mongol, and we've got the scene where the party continues on. Everybody's okay, and Mongol is trapped in his own fantasy, which is this dark, bleak, dystopian vision of him killing Jason, murdering uh, Superman. The joy he gets in seeing Superman's eyes roll back in his head, and the screams of all these civilizations and people that he that he dominates, um, it's just really really fun. It's 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 so good. And the only thing that I found a little bit of a, uh, I think Superman recovers from it too quick. Like in in he suddenly you know he's unwrapping birthday presents and he's worried about Wonder Woman knowing that he's already got a miniature version of the Bottle City of Candor. I love it. I, I, I do enjoy it, but it's so quick and it's such a, a you know, a differentiation from the, the the tortured Superman that's just come out of this fantasy world, you know, and he's lost his his son and stuff. Um, but yeah, and again, depictions of him flying at super speed to uh to to move out the 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 replica of, of Kandor that he has so he doesn't hurt super uh, Wonder Woman's feelings. It's just great. And it ends the last page, the epilogue is just Mongol enjoying his fantasy of of universal domination. It's it's superb. Yeah. No, really good. And Superman kisses Wonder Woman. <laughs> like, can we not do that? <laughs> and, and then he goes, "Why don't we do that more often?" It's like, ugh, I didn't know. Don't like Superman and Wonder Woman as a couple. It just—it's <laughs> always a bit gross. It's just—it never works. I don't know why they keep trying to do it. Um, but yeah, no, that—that—that that, that is the story. I—I I do really like. We, you mentioned, um, you know, Wonder Woman gives him the miniaturized bottled city of Candor because Candor has been enlarged now. Apparently, I don't remember yeah. that. But uh, there's that great page where he flies at super speed to hide the one he already has. He just puts it in like a cabinet press. <laughs> puts it in a cabinet. It's a, and again, you know, because it's a Bronze Age, we're a little bit more subtle. You know, we yeah. can appreciate that the reader is of a certain level of intelligence that we don't have to like beat them over the head with certain things, yeah. which I think is true throughout the story. You know, if this had been the Silver Age or something, there'd be like innumerable thought bubbles straight out of explaining exactly what he's doing oh i better hide this because wonder woman will know (laughs) that i already have it but they don't do that they just show him subtly moving it and coming back in the nick of time it's great um yeah um yeah so i mean i suppose i've talked about the things i really liked um again I, i i i have some issues with superman kind of the 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 thing that would make him ultimately happy would be to just be back on krypton with Lila and you know li- living at a life that is just so completely separate from his life on Earth, I, yeah. I, I I've question marks over that. But in and of itself, this story is absolutely excellent and it is deserved of its uh, of its classic uh, status. Definitely. Well, what's more human than desiring what you can never have? I suppose. But yeah, I see. I see your point. I see your point. Um, and, again, and again, it's just it's just my own personal preference. Like there are plenty of stories where the ultimate thing that Superman wants more than anything else is to just be back on Krypton, and as if Krypton never exploded and so that. I just I just feel like it goes against. Not only does it again go against it as an as an adoption story, I think it also goes against it as, you know, Superman is a manifestation of the American dream as well, which is all about, you know, carrying the legacy of what you leave behind, but embracing a new world and new life. Yeah, and like making the very best of that life, and you know, seizing the, everything that makes America great and all that sort of stuff. Whereas, if you're just dreaming about, well, I wish I was back in in Ireland or Poland or Italy or whatever, you're kind of like, well, I don't know. But uh, you know, great story, absolutely. Uh, I have a quote from Alan Moore here, who said, "It was a story for the people I've encountered who are fixated upon some point in the past where things could have gone differently." 
or who e- mm. who are equally obsessed with some hypothetical point in the future when certain circumstances will have come to pass and they can finally be happy. These people are so enslaved by the perception of the past and future that they are incapable of properly experiencing the present until it's vanished. Interesting. That was, that, that, yeah. That's a really interesting quote. And it kind of goes to what I'm sort of saying, though. It's that, like, it's okay to be fixated and to wonder about it. Yeah. But, but to say that it is the thing that would make him truly happy, that's that's where I kind of scratch my head a little bit. I'm kind of like, I, I don't know if that entirely rings true. But it's still it's fascinating to think about. I'm so glad the story exists, and I think we've kind of we've kind of teased it out quite a bit. And and I was just amazed to get Sirius's take on it as well, which yeah. kind of really opened up my my mind to other perspectives on it as well. And did she but, read it um, herself, or did you kind of go through it with her? No, I I I you know the, this is a heavy Alan Moore story. I, yeah, we, we just watched the cartoon, which is different in a couple of significant ways, and we'll get to that. But mm. um, I I did tell her that you know in the comic. Like it's specifically just Krypton. Like there's no allusions to Earth at all. Like he's married to Lila. He's living in the city. You know, Jor-El is there, and you, you know. So, I I think that's an important distinction between the comic and the cartoon. Yeah. Um. But first, let's talk about Superboy. <laughs> <laughs> Briefly. Uh, yeah. So we'll we'll and we'll focus on the um we'll we'll focus on the the comparisons more so than going through step by step because the stories are very similar throughout. Um, so the Superboy episode, which tackles black, well, a Black Mercy style Ish. event, yeah. is Mindscape, uh, season three, episode ten, release date December eighth, nineteen ninety, uh, has a runtime of twenty two minutes, directed by uh, the famous David Nutter, and written by oh Mike, wow, Chris. yeah, and uh, written by Mark, uh, Mike Carlin, and Al- Andy Helfer, and the synopsis reads: Superboy's life is in peril when an alien creature attaches itself to his body, causing him horrific nightmares in which he battles his alter ego, Clark Kent. What do you think of this one? Um, I it, it, it's another weird episode of Superboy. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. Very weird. Uh, the, the, you know, there's fun to be had. There's a lot of weird Gerard Christopher acting in it. Um, yeah. There's a scene where a pro wrestler turns up wearing a Superboy costume, announcing that he's the new Superboy, and he starts touching Stacey Hyduke's face. And I was just watching it going, I'm so glad this show exists because it's so fucking strange. <laughs> and I was the same. I, I messaged you when I was watching it going, what am I watching? I took a screenshot of Lex Luger, the wrestler. Lex Luger, in, by the way, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. What a great name. In his in his Superboy suit. And I was like, what is going on? The show is so fucking weird. Um, but it, it's it's not a play by play of the of the book it's it's inspired by the alan moore story uh, the basics of the story is is that a guy arrives at um the the bureau with a meteorite he drops the meteorite and it cracks open and uh, this creature this kind of gelatin style creature jumps out and attaches itself to superboy and places him in a similar kind of catatonic, uh, catatonic state the big difference here is that it's not a fantasy world. No. It's it's nightmares, and it's revealed as the episode go, goes on that the creature feeds off adrenaline, which is caused by the fear from the nightmares. And there's, there's a number of different nightmares. The first one uh, is when uh, uh, he, he basically relives the first couple of minutes of the episode again, except in this, in this one, he jumps on the meteor as Clark, and it explodes. And when he stands up, he turns around in front of the bullpen or the equivalent of the bullpen, and you, everybody, Lana and everybody else, all the staff can see his Superman, his Superboy S underneath the, the shirt. The shirt's been blown yeah. to bits. And it's a nightmare situation in that they they kind of surround him and they he, he loses 
his ability to be Clark and to yeah. to have his identity and to have his privacy and to have this other life. And he's just Superboy twenty four seven. And they just want from him and they want from him. And they kind and, of and they him. don't they they dismiss him as well. Yeah, it's, it's like the ultimate like exaggerated manifestation of what he's worried will happen if if he just completely shares the you know extent of his double life with the world which is that that they all hate him for it and lana like hates him for it and stuff like that um you know they, they do some interesting stuff with it definitely. yeah um and and the the nightmares kind of roll into each other then and while while the nightmares are going on you have you've got the situation where the staff in the real world are trying to treat him and they have this doctor come in and she's trying to figure out what's going on and the second nightmare superboy is revealed to be a robot oh, yeah and i just want is... to point it go on so he's the way they do this is that there's this big ridiculous uh metal apparatus on gerard christopher's chest suspiciously similar looking to the metallo um mm-hmm. kind of thing i suspect that it might have literally even been the same prop but uh there's a bit where what's his name not jimmy olsen but matt ritter who is essentially the jimmy olsen of the bureau of extra normal matters except instead of uh like a plucky copy boy he he is actually a senior agent so they kind of flip it Okay. Um and he goes, he's not human. And Gerard Christopher in his like New York Italian American accent just goes, I am human. <laughs> no need for an H. And the, the robot I am human. The, the the robot section just comes way out past his costume. There's no way that costume hid all oh, the kind of the folds and the bolts of it. Um it's lovely. He, so Lex Luger turns up. He's basically the upgraded robot of Superboy, and he's there to take Superboy out. And there is a shot, to be fair, where he does destroy Superboy, and Superboy is kind of this wrecked robot torso on the ground. I thought that looked pretty good. I feel like I I think I alluded to I I don't know which episode we were talking about it in, but um the Doomsday of Lois and Clark yeah. is the guy in the virtual reality episode who's played yes. by the guy from Batman Returns. Chip just, from Superman, or from Batman Returns, yeah. Chip from Batman Returns. He's just beating the shit out of Superman. He's got this big, sick-ass blonde mullet. For me, he's essentially the doomsday Lois and Clark. Lex Luger in Superboy is essentially the doomsday of Superboy, I'm I'm fairly sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the third nightmare is pretty simple. It's just Lana falls out of love with Superboy. She tells him she's after falling out of love with him. And she's in love with someone new and she opens the door and Clark Kent comes through. And it's some kind of, I don't know, Freudian thing about mm. how, you know, I don't know. But the, the, the Clark Kent is, is a bit of an asshole and he's not the true kind of nice yeah. guy, Clark Kent. Clark Kent. Um, so eventually the, the, the I'm, gonna, I'm just going to call it the Black Mercy. Eventually the Black Mercy kills him, kills Superboy. Now, I wasn't sure at the time if this was another nightmare or not, but I think it is genuine. It's meant to be played as genuine. The, the Black Mercy kills Superboy and he travels to the afterlife. So he kind of floats up out of his mm. body, up through the building, up into the sky. Um, but he's prevented from entering the afterlife by none other than Jorel and Lara, who stop like him that. and say, you know, it's not your time. You're not. You're, it's not your time to pass over. You still have things to do. Remind me, do we see them wearing the costumes or do we see yes, the actors we, so at all? We see them in the distance. We see the costumes, but we don't see their faces. And the costumes so, are the the reminiscent of the Christopher Reeve movie. But exactly. Not so exactly. They're, they're kind so of just there's a light white robes. Exactly. So there's a light shining from behind them and you can't make out their faces. They're just covered in a shadow. But you can see the 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 Mr. Price version of uh, of yeah. the of the costumes. There is a season two episode where an, two aliens, they, they impersonate Jor-El and Lara and they're played by uh, George Lazenby and oh, yeah. um, Britt Eklund. 
So yeah. nice, nice James Bond connection. Former there, James wife Bond. of Peter Sellers, I think, isn't she? That that sounds about right. Yes, yeah. Alan, if I'm not mistaken. So former James Bond, former James Bond girl, uh, play essentially Jor-El and Lara in a in a previous episode, which um, I desperately want to cover at some stage because there's a hilarious fight between Superboy and fake Jor-El, where Superboy throws Jor-El into a truck. And there's just this ridiculous scene of a stuntman just bouncing off a truck, and the Jorel I don't even kind of slides I don't even, down his head. It's so funny. I don't even think I don't even think it's a stuntman. I think it's, it's just a doll. actually. Oh, you think, I think it's, it's a doll? I think it's a doll. I think it's a, it's kind of like the doll that Christopher Reeve spins around when he's when he's spinning Zod. You know, before he throws him into the coke sign in Superman Two. Oh yeah. I think that because it's just lifeless when it hits that thing, it kind of rolls off. Yeah, I'll try and put that the gif of that on so the Facebook. Good. It's so funny. I I just hope it wasn't actually George Lazenby. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So uh, Jorel and Lara say, to explain to Clark or explain to Superboy that it's not his time to go, and he kind of fights this Power Rangers interpretation of the creature. I think is that what it is? Kind of like this. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's a fair. So 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 they fight each other. Superboy wins. He wakes up. Everything's perfect. Um, So, yeah, it's it's inspired. It's inspired by the by by the by the Alan Moore story. But obviously the beats are all completely different. Yeah. And and sorry, it probably sounds like I'm making fun of it a bit. And and I am. Um, It's definitely not a bad episode like it's it's fun and it's there's kind of stuff going on in it. And there's definitely sequences in it that I think are really well executed. It's it's just a bit strange. And it just some of the special effects haven't and the kind of production design of it haven't aged very well. But I, I do think it's an interesting watch and it's it's worth watching if you're a fan of the uh, of the original comic, Tiffany. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what will we discuss next? Will we do the Supergirl one and then finish with the cartoon? Is that the best thing? Yeah, sure. I, I, I want to give a brief mention to Krypton as well at some point, but we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll do Supergirl first, I think. I actually want to give a brief mention to another Superman show, but uh, yeah, we, we can do all that. Yeah. So I, I think that the, the reason we're doing Supergirl before the cartoon is just I feel like the most substantial uh, discussion will be had with the cartoon. So it's best to say that for last. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, so the Supergirl episode is enti- is titled For the Girl Who Has Everything. It's season one, episode 13, release date April 29th, 2016. Runtime is 43 minutes, directed by Dermot Downs. And uh, I don't have the, the, the written by credit. Uh, synopsis, a parasitic alien attaches itself to Kara and traps her in a world where Krypton was never destroyed, leaving Alex, Hank and the DEO to fend off a Kryptonian attack without her. Now, this is the second time in our in the in the show that we've discussed Supergirl, I was very hard on it the last time we discussed the episode because I really really didn't like it. Um, I thought this was a very solid episode. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, really really liked what they did with the story. Um, and and there's a, the, the the issue that I had with the book that we disagreed on is kind of addressed in a different way here. In that Alex is inserted into the fantasy, so we'll talk a little bit about that. But I just want to get your thoughts on the episode as a whole. Bob. Uh yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a, a faithful in the right way. It was uh to to the original comic, and um I I was really taken aback by the production design of it. Like they, me too. I, I remember season one of Supergirl was an actual network show, so I wonder yeah. was the budget higher in those days because it just looked great. Like it I have looked. A, I have a question. You like putting me on the spot, so I'm going to put Ooh. you on the spot. Go on. Did you notice anything unusual about Krypton? itself 
uh, it was all just a living room. <laughs> in, uh... No, uh, in in terms of they do this shot of Krypton, we we do see some exterior kind of shots of buildings yeah. and stuff. Did you notice anything that was out of place? Uh, no, I, I I did notice a building that looks like the Olive from uh from London, but I don't think that was what. What are you going to say here? I don't I don't know where you're going with this. It has a yellow sun. Oh, interesting. Oh, I noticed it has. They do the shot from the outside, and I noticed that it has a yellow sun. That's cool. Um, which I feel might have been an oversight. An oversight. I was gonna say, yeah, it's like, is that actually intentional, or did they just forget? <laughs> I don't know. You know, the fact that you would think that it would be red because it was red. Why would it be yellow? And they they referred to the red sun a lot in Super. Well, or do they? I think I, th- I feel like the red sun comes up a lot in Supergirl. Like it's not it's not like an unknown thing. Like no, it's not. Like it's it, not. Clark or whatever. But like no, that's interesting. No, um, I criticized the last episode we discussed. I thought it was very heavy on the overall season arc because it's you know it's not episodic television. They do concentrate a little bit on the overall season arc here, but yeah. not so much to the extent that I couldn't enjoy the rest of the episode. I could literally just stick on my criticism last time was he couldn't just stick it on and go. I'd watch that one where whatever happens. Yeah. You absolutely could watch this one. You could literally go, I'll watch the one where the Black Mercy is in it and stick it on. And I thought all the characters were great. Again, season one, uh, Calista Flockhart was top of her game. I thought in this, I really, yeah. really enjoy her version of Cat Grant. Yeah, well, like, and we'll, we'll get back to the comparisons with the story, but uh, I did, uh, yeah, she she was great. And part of me, I was watching her going, they, they, kind of, they kind of fumbled the format of Supergirl a little bit in that... You know, they, they 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 could have found a way to just leave out all the DEO stuff and just yeah. have her be in Catco, and maybe John Jones is just a reporter there or something, or or maybe he's a cop and Alex is a cop and that's how you do it or something. Because for me, it it just feels messy the way you yeah. know half the show is at Catco, which is familiar and it's like kind of a Daily Planet type thing, and it, it's fun and it's it's exciting and Calissa Flockhart is there and she doesn't know the secret and all that. That's all great. But then you have these scenes in the DEO and there's all these guys running around with guns and I'm just like, oh, this is just, there's too much going on here and there's too many characters and that yeah. that, that was my, that was my only real big problem with Supergirl was the DEO stuff. It just never quite sat right with me. I don't like Superman working with the military or Supergirl and that's, it, it, I'm it the same. feels like that. And it, it felt like, you know, this was around the time of the height of the MCU and it, it was almost like we, we need a shield. We need a shield type thing. And that's what that's what the DEO is. And um, the stuff, the 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 dynamics in Cat Co itself, Wayne and everybody. And again, like it's something they kept trying to do with Supergirl, is they kept trying to force these love interests on her. Like Wayne didn't work, J- um, Jimmy Olsen didn't work. You know, she ended up with kind of Monel for a couple of seasons. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, even that, that, even that, that didn't, didn't work. really gel yeah. either. I don't know why. Is that because it's a CW show or because it's a it's a female lead and she has to have the love interest or something? I'm not sure the win. I always liked the win character in it, um. But all the all the dynamics of Catco, I thought worked really really well. Yeah, I I I was kind of watching it going when I when I mentioned too many characters there. For me, as much as I like the casting, I love the idea of it and all that. I I feel like Jimmy Olsen never really worked in this show either. Like it, it felt he's like not, he's not Jimmy Olsen though. He's 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 Jimmy an established Neem. developed character. Yeah, well, he's just he's he's just. Like he's completely different to anything. Like he's completely competent. He's very confident. He's you know a strong, good-looking guy. He could basically, and he ends up being a superhero himself. That's what I like about it, though. It's like they, they it? t- it's it's like a true sequel to a Superman show. We've seen Jimmy mm. as the young, 
upstart who doesn't know, you know, he, he's wet around the ears. Like, this is him as an established journalist. This is the guy Michael Landis is trying to be in Lois and Clark. I thought all that was great. Mm. The problem is they, they kind of don't know what to do with him. Like, yeah. he starts off, he's kind of a mentor to Kara. And like, he knows the secret, which I think was a bit of a mistake. And then, but then he's also kind of a love interest and then they don't have any chemistry. So that didn't work. And then, so then when they decide that he's not a love interest, then they make him as, they make him the guardian, which the guardian, is so strange. Yeah. And yeah. there's that, there's that bit, there's that scene where he's talking to Win, and he's like, Hey, don't worry. This is going to work. I'm really good at karate. I'm <laughs> just like this. What is this? You know, anyway, <laughs> karate, we're, 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 we're not, we're not here to, I, I, I have a lot of fondness for Supergirl and I think a lot of it is really, Melissa Noyce great. And there's a lot of really, really good stuff in it. But um, so, yeah, the story of the episode is very different to the book. There's no Mongol. There's no Justice League members. Um, and it doesn't really deal with the rest of them all kind of deal with Clark being married and having kids. This kind of de- deals more so with with Kara's Kryptonian family, her mother, her father. Um, we see a young Kal-El, her cousin depicted in it. There's no kind of romantic partner in it at all. Yeah. Um, the, the the story is basically here is that the recurring villains of this season is or non and I can't think of the girl's name but it's basically Kara's aunt her mother's sister Laura's mm. sister and it's non who has attached the black A- mercy Astra to, I believe Astra yeah and it's it's non who has attached the black mercy to to Kara she's woken up she knows it's wrong straight away that's yeah. a, another difference here she knows it's not right she knows about Earth she knows about her sister. Um, and she's kind of convinced by by her mother and uh, other characters. Her father turns up when she's kind of pulling away. And eventually then she completely submits to the fantasy and it's, she forgets about Alex and everybody else. It's kind of a Neverland type situation where she's like fighting to remember yes. what's real, but she can feel the memory slipping away. And she's yeah. submitting, as you say, to the to the fantasy of it all. And like the, the, the fantasy is trying to to drag her further into it mm-hmm. and the the, the child Kalel kind of takes the role of Vanel in this and he's the one he's like oh look at how beautiful Krypton is and she goes oh Krypton is beautiful it, it all worked really really well again Melissa Benoist is really really good and the yeah. production design was great what, what I what I like about this episode specifically is it just makes more sense as a Supergirl story because Supergirl especially in this in show she was there until she was eight like it's yeah. it's so much more substantial than than Superman's memories of Krypton. Like she was literally there. Like her her whole childhood is wrapped up in Krypton, and when when she's going through this fantasy, she's very childlike in it. Like and yes. and the the other characters treat her like a child. Like that they, they do refer to her maybe dating someone or something like that. But like she's treated like she's a young teen or kind of you, you know thirteen or fourteen. Like it's she's not treated like the adult she she is. So it's almost like she's regressing to her childhood self. And for me, the idea that Kara yearns to be back on Krypton and that's the like her ultimate version of happiness is to be back. Like I can absolutely believe that. And it, it just works that yeah. little bit better. And by inserting Alex in, as you say, it's it's showing her that there, there is something special about her new life that is worth fighting for and worth leaving this kind of perfect fantasy behind. And yeah, I, I, I think it, it works really well. And again, it just looks amazing. Like, yeah, it looks like the kind of colorful comic book Krypton that we never get in movies. Um, We get Keelex, like comic accurate Keelex in like the yep. opening. Like the, the, they're kind of they're kind of more paying homage to the cartoon there where she's sort of woken up by the robot. 
Um, in in the cartoon, it's like a Brainiac drone. In in here, it's Keelex, and he just looks like Keelex from the comics. It's... And all the all the Krypton stuff, like you said, is is centered in the apartment, but it's not a bottle episode like the Superboy episode was, where it's mm. all kind of in on on the one set, like in 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 the in the bureau. The bureau, yeah, yeah. Like we we do have a lot of of shots on Earth. We have you know um, um, Alex, how Alex finds out about how the Black Mercy works and stuff. You do you know obviously Mongols not in it to explain. The Black it. Mercy itself looks amazing, by the way. Looks amazing. It's very like, comic. It's all CGI and but it looks great and you know you, you can tell it's cgi but like it's yeah it's really really cool to look at really like um, but it's it's astra who tells alex because even though she wants to dominate the earth or whatever she she does not want harm to come to her niece which is a oh. nice which is a nice touch and uh, you know at, at the end then she ends up being by, being killed by alex and that obviously turns into a bit of a of an arc in the in the season itself that um, was another yeah there was another weird thing i was thinking watching it was i i'd forgotten that astra was the identical twin of Kara's mother yeah so and then they're later both replaced. later replaced. I was like, they were both huge presences in season one, and then they just recast them later on it's with just... Erica Durance, wasn't it? Yeah, with Erica Durance. Yeah, so yeah. It, it's it's almost like season one of Supergirl was functionally a different show, and you, you yeah. have Peter Facinelli playing uh, Maxwell Lord. I know our friend Zach Moore really, really doesn't like him on the show. I think he's pretty good, man. He's he's basically like the gene hackman lex it's literally what he is like he, <laughs> yeah, he, is. he's kind of like a evil tony stark essentially um he's just a real kind of con man but he's he's really really intelligent and they use him to try and break Kara out of the fantasy world and all that totally forgot that even he knows her secret identity which just seems bananas but uh no i kind of like him in it as well did you yeah, like i him? liked him I liked him. I I enjoyed him. I liked him, and uh, he's he's. I always remember him as uh, one of my favorite films as a teenager. Was can't hardly Twilight. wait. I, I don't know if you, if you remember that, but he was in that. Uh, was he in Twilight? Was he? I've never he seen was Twilight. The, he was. The, I've seen the first one. What's he called? Yeah, he's in the. He's the the not the dad, but the dad of the vampires in Twilight. Yeah. Yeah, but no, very solid episode of Supergirl, and uh, yeah, look, we'll we'll definitely come back to the show again in the future. Um. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the Justice League Unlimited episode, I just want to give a very brief mention to the Krypton episode. We have never spoken about Krypton on the show, Rob. It's kind of a black spot in both mm. of our fandoms when it comes to Superman. Um, I've seen a few episodes of the first season. Uh, I own the second season of DVD just because I got a great deal on it. Where I got it for like three or four quid in a secondhand shop. Um, it, it's no, there, There's no real reason for that. I just never really got around to it. Um, it's something that I intend to to fix and to address soon. Um, yourself yeah i think when i heard they were doing a krypton show i was like that's interesting but i'm just really tired of prequels and yeah and also, i was the same for me you know like as much as i love kind of scenes on krypton and stuff like that i I just don't know if i want to spend a whole show there you know that kind of way yeah yeah um, and I'm, I wonder... I'm not sure i'm not sure how many episodes are in season one but season two is only 10 episodes yeah i think the whole show is only about 20 episodes or so but for me, it was kind of like, I wonder, is is this going to be for me? Like, part of what I like about Superman is the grounded, well, this, the types of Superman stories I like are the more grounded kind of everyday, yeah. you know, journalism stuff. And it's contrasted with Krypton and it's kind of a fish out of water thing. But when you're actually just on Krypton the whole time, I'm like, that that sounds like a bit of a dry show. Yeah. Now, again, I haven't watched any of it, but I have heard from a lot of people saying that actually it's surprisingly really really good so i i do want to we will it, go yeah. back to it. we might maybe watch it all and do a season review or something like that um, but no it's just season two episode eight actually uh, so just before we get into it i just want to mention as well that i met uh ian McElhenney, who is an actor who plays segel's father i think grandfather 
he plays so Superman's yeah. Superman's. Let me get this right now. So he'd be Superman's great 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 grandfather. Great grandfather. Yeah, yeah. Two greats. Okay, I think. He he's he's also in he's a small role in Rogue One and he's also in he's best Dairy known Girls. in Ireland anyway for Dairy Girls which yeah. Martin Scorsese recently admitted to being a fan of and I I I met him when he was on the chat show I used to work on and he was filming Krypton at the time and he spoke very very highly of it and he's very very proud to be involved with it which is interesting because when I asked him about Rogue One he had nothing but you know negative things to say it was a really unpleasant experience he said. He was just constantly going back to film reshoots and reshoots and reshoots of the same scene because, you know, the studio decided that they wanted to expand certain characters and, you know, reduce the role of other characters. And, and then they'd come back with different notes and he'd have yeah. to come back again six months later. And he he just really didn't enjoy it at all. But he seemed to really like working on Krypton. And Krypton, for its credit, is the only Superman production ever to be made on the island of Ireland. It was all filmed yeah. up in Northern Ireland, which is pretty cool. That that actor was actually um, McInerney. He was actually a, a guest there at uh, Comic Con Ireland last weekend. Mm. I, I I wasn't there, but I, I saw he was advertised as a, as, Lo- as lovely a guy. Nice lovely man. guy. Um, so the episode is actually titled Black Mercy. It's season two, episode eight, release date of July thirty first, twenty nineteen. Runtime of forty three minutes, and its synopsis reads: Dev and Jaina help Seg and Nissa target General Zod's fleet when they make a shocking discovery. Those are so, some names. Whew. Those are some names. So look. It, it really has nothing to do with the Alan Moore story whatsoever, except the fact that Black Mercy does feature in it and it is comic book accurate. Um, it, it is used in this story. In, what I can gather from this is that General Zod has traveled back to Krypton's past and is now roughly the same age, maybe a little bit older than his own mother, who is a love interest of Seg El, who is Kal-El's grandfather. Okay, so that's a lot of information right there. My goodness. But... For some the reason that I don't know, because I haven't, I haven't seen the previous episodes. Uh, he needs to keep his own mother subdued, so he attaches Black Mercy to her, and she's living in this fantasy where, um, she's basically Segel has been a social outcast. The houses of El and everything are really prestigious, but he has been he's become an outcast, and their honor is restored, and they're allowed to get married, and everything is perfect. But in the real... show called uh, Game of Thrones. I yeah. <laughs> but what I do like about this is that in the real world, and I'm going to really come at you from left wing here, in the real world, what Zod is doing is he has his minions or his henchmen. They're removing uh, kind of the blood or the life fluid or whatever you want to call it from the Black Mercy to inject into Doomsday, who is probably the most accurate live action depiction of doomsday he doesn't say anything or do anything but he he looks exactly like he does in the in the in the death superman comics and it that's the reason that the fantasy is degrading in in lighters that's the the name of 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 the the of zod's mother that's why the fantasy is degrading it's because they're removing fluid from the black mercy that's feeding on her and because they're removing the fluid to inject into Doomsday to kind of kick his, get his synapses going or whatever, the, the fantasy starts to degrade and it starts to turn from a fantasy into a horror. Okay. Into a nightmare, which is a nice little spin on it. But besides that, it has nothing whatsoever to do with the Alan Moore story. It reminds me of young Alan Burke, um, you know, dipping into the, the family liquor cabinet and... Uh, slowly but surely watering it all down to the you know the point where <laughs> a 
bottle of vodka is just a big old bottle of water and it yeah. just turns a party from a you know a perfect pleasant time into a nightmare because everyone's just drinking water instead of <laughs> um but yeah look i i just thought i'd mention it because obviously it's an episode titled black mercy it features the black mercy so i just thought it would be worth to be worth bringing up it it feels like the black mercy comes back a couple of times in in the krypton show doesn't it I think in season one, it's featured as a kind of a prop in the background of a couple okay. of episodes. I think this is the first episode now, and I'm completely open to be corrected on this. I think it is the first episode where it's actually used as mm. an, a story, a story um, element. Okay, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I have to say I am looking forward to checking out Krypton at some stage. I don't know if it'll be quite my my speed, but, you mm-hmm. know, again, there's only a couple of episodes of the whole show. So what? why not just... Check and the, the actor, again, his name escapes me, but the actor who plays Segel is a massive, massive, massive uh, comic book fan, That's massive fun. Superman fan himself. And he's just an extremely likable guy uh, in the show, both in the show and I follow him on, on social media as well. He's one of these kind of Calvin Klein looking dudes, but he uh, has the personality to back it up. He just seems like a genuinely, genuinely nice guy. So please come on, All-Star Superman. <laughs> awesome. Calvin um, so, Klein, like ourselves, Alan. No, yeah, no, like no, ourselves, no, like no, ourselves. Let's move on. Me more so than you, but yeah. Um, so, <laughs> for the man who has everything, Justice League Unlimited, season one, episode two, or or technically season three, whatever you know. What's your history with this? Uh, obviously, this one, this one is a kind of uh, uh, well known for the fact that um, Alan Moore, who doesn't generally kind of approve of adaptations of his work, that in in you know gave gave this his stamp of approval, which is which is quite rare for Alan Moore. Um, so did you see this originally back in the day or was it kind of later in life? Um, I'm trying to remember. I, I feel like most of JLU I saw later on. I think I, I watched Justice mm. League as it was coming out here in Ireland. And um, then it became tricky to follow. It was on the Irish language channel over here, TG Cahar, who I ironically now do a lot of work with. Um and I th- I think the times that they'd air it were were a little bit all over the place and then I I kind of drifted away from it and I never really caught JLU when that first started so I don't think I saw this one when it aired here but I I definitely found it on the DVDs I remember reading the synopsis actually on online somewhere and thinking oh god it's about his birthday party that sounds really lame I don't know if I want to watch that <laughs> not 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 knowing that it was this it was based off this iconic story or whatever I was like oh they've They've lost their way. They're making it a, a kiddie show now or whatever. Um, so I, I I think it was, wasn't was until I got the DVDs. And I don't know if I was even aware at that stage that it was based on a comic. Like, I was still fairly young when I got the DVDs. Um, but I mean, you know, for, for whatever problems I do have with the story, you, you can't really deny that it is a fabulous kind of episode of animation. George Newbern is, is fantastic in it. Um, they, they make a couple yeah. of... They make a couple of key deviations from the story, uh, some of which I think are definitely for the better. And we'll get into those. And oh, I'm interested yeah, to get into that. Just just generally, I mean, once again, we've kind of said it a few times. I, I kind of notice it a bit more now that since we had him on, but James DeMatteis, like a lot of the times he's kind of nothing but net. <laughs> like he does a good job. He knows the characters. Yeah. He knows how to write dialogue, which a lot of these kind of animated things. I'm watching a lot of the recent animated movies now and like a lot of them, they really fall on the dialogue for me. They just, the, the dialogue feels very flat, whereas this really sings. It just, it feels like real people having real conversations. Um, Yeah, like I do, I do have my own little 
kind of issues with certain things, but overall, like it, it, it is a stunning episode. It's definitely one of the best Superman centric episodes in the in the DCAU. Yeah, definitely. What about you? I, I was surprised to go back when I when I went back to it to, to to find that it was only the second episode of Justice League Unlimited. I, I yeah. for some reason I remember that it was a lot further along than that. And um, yeah, I remember watching it originally. Um, I I can't actually remember the the exact moment the the, the exact viewing where I saw it um for the first time. But I watched Justice League and Justice League Unlimited back in the day as it was airing. And uh, yeah, I've, I've like as a fan of the story, I thought this was a really worthwhile, uh, you know, adaptation. Mm-hmm. I can see why Alan Moore was happier with it than he is with a lot of the kind of hatchet jobs that are done to his work or, or that have been done to his work over the years. Um, and yeah, I think they really, you know, paid, uh, you know, homage to his to, to his story and really did a, a great job of, of making it a 21 minute animated episode. Now, like there is changes. Um, you know, obviously, Robin, Jason Todd's Robin doesn't feature at all yeah. in this episode. I'm, um, with I'm, I was a bit disappointed by that. Although me too. Although at the same time, it does give Wonder Woman more to do, which is good because she kind of doesn't have a lot to do yeah. in the original story. So you know, there's that. But she I kind of always, fills in. I was going to say, I, I I always liked uh Tim Drake slash Jason Todd in the in the animated series, and it would have been nice to see him one last time here because. Yeah. I think this this is set before Batman Beyond Return of the Joker, so technically Tim Drake is still out there being Robin, so it would have been nice to see him in this episode, but I understand maybe why they didn't do that. And in terms of the episode, in terms of the episode itself, I mean, it's 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 it pretty much gets the gist of everything in there. Now there is there is a lot left out. Don't get me wrong, but like yeah. it, it hits all the major points pretty well. I think. Um, obviously, the whole thing about this cult sect is left out. Um, yeah, like the, the, I. Th- I think. The, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I'll, I'll say it in a second. No, no. Uh, the, obviously, this whole the, the whole thing about the cult, the sect is, is left out of the episode. I can see. I say that was literally just a, a a time thing that they couldn't fit it all in there, but I think it still works uh, pretty well. I still have the same issue, and I know we disagreed on this the last time. I still have the same issue with this that I have with the Alan Moore story, and that I think Superman just comes to the conclusion that everything is false too easily and too quickly. Um, and I think it's a bit jarring in this episode as well. I know we disagreed on on that when it came to the book and stuff. But what did you think? Um, yeah, well, I I feel like arguably the most uh, significant omission in the animated episode is the politics, like all the political stuff in yeah. the original story, where Alan Moore is kind of questioning what kind of man Jor-El even was and what he would stand for on Krypton and all that kind of stuff. All of that is kind of rinsed away and. Uh, yeah, it's 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 much more about that first initial page. He is content. It's it's Kal-El's happy life on Krypton, um, and and you're right. Like I, they they couldn't have really done justice to that in uh, in twenty one minutes. Uh, twenty one minutes. Uh, Alan Moore has has this habit of cramming stuff into like really really tight stories. If anyone ever read his Captain Britain run, there there was a lot of stuff like that where you know he he might only have four pages to tell a story and he just whack all this stuff in. Um, so I, I think they were wise to maybe leave that stuff out, even though I'd find it really, really interesting in the comic. Um, for yeah. me though, what the, the kind of changes that, well, the one change I would say that I really did like was that in this version of the story, uh, Kal-El lives on a farm. So yes. it, it's, it's, it's acknowledging the fact that there are things that he found on earth that really fulfilled him and made him very happy. And it's it, a life that he wants to return to is the life on the farm. 
and they merge that with you know his fantasy of of Krypton and, and living on Krypton. Yeah. Um, so I I find I was I was really really glad that they did that. Um, I I have issues with the composite Lois and Lana character. I I yeah, I, and I wanted I wanted to ask you about that because that is that's another big difference from the book. I mean, she the character here is voiced by Dana Delaney. She looks yeah. like Lois with a slightly um you know reddish kind of more reddish hair or something brown brown hair. Um, yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that actually. I I think it's 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 clever and surreal and it's it's kind of an interesting thing to do in an animated episode uh because it's the only way it, the only place you could do it really is in an animated like if you did it in live action and you just plonked a red-haired wig on the actress playing Lois and it might be a bit odd but I think the problem I have with it for me is that it kind of makes Superman seem a bit shallow and like he doesn't really truly love Lois or Lana and that, that it's that old Betty and Veronica thing from the, the Bronze Age where you yeah. can't decide between the two and it just kind of cheapens him as a character and it cheapens them and yeah just not 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 really mad on that I, I understand what James DeMatteis was going for and I think it is an interesting idea but it just feels a bit shallow to me. And I, I get that, you know, in the DC animated universe, it isn't really driven by the love story between Superman and Lois the way other versions are. And, no. you know, to, to, to yeah, his credit, that before, yeah. like in the episodes we've seen, like he does still have feelings for Lana and he does have feelings for Lois. So it does make sense that there'd be that conflict. But I, it just, again, it's just something that wasn't really to my taste, this idea that, he can't decide who he's really in love with. So in his ultimate fantasy where he gets everything he ever wants, it's this impossible blend of the two women. It's just, no, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I'm not and the, other, the only other thing I don't like is that there's no Jonathan and Martha somehow, you know, maybe I, I don't yes. know how they, how they'd figure that out, but that, 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 that just harkens back to me of this is everything he ever wanted. And that's a life without his parents. I don't know, you know, those yeah. are just those yeah. are nitpicks. Um, yeah, and I I really liked the the whole thing with the farm, you know, with the windows, and he he, he jumps yeah. on the windows, and you can see out in the cornfields and stuff. I really liked that. I really enjoyed yeah. that. Um, I didn't mind the Lois amalgamation as much. I I did feel that it was a little bit, uh, not distasteful, but I I did get the I I know exactly what you're saying. I I, yeah. I did kind of get that feeling that it was just a little bit too far. Um, that if he had just been married to some version of of uh, a Kryptonian woman that he was madly in love with, that it, that it would have gone better. Um, or the, if it's uh, just Lois, like just say that it's Lois. just regular Lois. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the the other thing that I thought was interesting, but I don't know how well it worked, is they kind of subtly inserted this kind of uh, back uh, background thing of of these earthquakes. There's yes, these earthquakes that he can kind of sense that he, that he sees in the news that he can feel, and nobody else seems to really acknowledge them. Um, I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, and and I, you know, I think in this story, the earthquakes take the place of the crazy, you know, cults on the street yeah. and stuff, and like those are the telltale hints to Kal El that something isn't right and something's wrong, and maybe it isn't real. And I, I, I kind of saw that as as being that. I, I really liked how. Um, Excuse me. The uh, the Black Mercy was like on display in in one of the cabinets mm -hmm. in uh, Jor-El's lab as yeah. well. I thought that was cool, and and I I liked the way they they differentiate between the city life and the farm. And uh, Vanel is like, wow, I can't believe you you left all of this. 
Um, and, and, you know, yeah. it, it's a nice little bit of character building because it implies that what Clark slash Superman slash Kal-El would really like to do is go back to the farm, which I, I like that. I mean, that, that that's part of the fantasy that makes sense to me that he would want to do that. Um, and the yeah. I don't know who's playing Vanel, but the, the kid voicing Vanel is is very good. Or maybe it's a an adult. I know they often get uh, female actors to voice boys in cartoons. But whoever it was, it, it, very good job there. I thought he, you know he's very convincing, and I I loved a bit where he doesn't pick up after the dog. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, like. Just like in the book, there is that you know I had like I said before I have my issues with with the the, the kind of the way he reaches the his conclusion in the in the book about the the world being um, false or or fake, but again another emotional gut punch there kind of the scene where he, he says goodbye to his son again is is very emotional yeah you know, he hugs him and he he tells him that he's never going to forget him and yeah again like it's it's a me I can't get over what they can accomplish with such little time you know in an animated in an animated episode it was really i thought that was really really strong yeah it is it's emotionally impactful like and, and i as i was saying earlier on i watched this with my partner Saoirse and you know i could see her kind of being affected by it you know and that that's not yeah. always the case yeah. when i watch superhero stuff with her so uh no very good and again george newburn you know i I I I I have issues with some of the characterization uh, of Superman in across the Justice League cartoons. I I, I think they 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 kind of make him into a bit of a hard ass and a bit of a um he he's the asshole who has to learn the lesson. I think a lot of the time in this cartoon, yeah. it it it's sort of a bit irritating. And then meanwhile, Batman is the guy who has all the answers and is everyone's best friend and is so level headed and you know yeah it, it feels like it should be the other way around but George Newbern is great and he's very very good in this episode and and he, he really does a good job so uh so fair play there yeah no absolutely and all of the action all of the fortress uh, all of the fortress of solitude stuff stuff with uh, Batman Wonder Woman Superman is all very solid the fight with Mongol is very solid mm. um voice casting of Mongol is great uh, you who's, really get who's playing Mongol actually because I, I was recognize... going I was going to I was going to ask that because the the voice does sound familiar, um, and I was wondering that I was I was trying to I was I didn't look it up, but I was trying to think in my mind is it, is it Michael Dorn or I I know it's not Michael Ironside I know he does Dark Side all right, um, but it's I was like you really do get the feeling that like the Trinity here are close friends, which you know a lot of these these actors you know have gotten to know each other and work Kevin Smith or Kevin Conroy and um, and uh, who who voices Wonder Woman. Oh, think. Now, now there's a thinker. I've no idea. I tell you who voices George. Mongol though. Go on, I'll kick myself because I know I recognize it. Good old Eric Ooh. Roberts. <laughs> Eric Roberts. Maroney himself. Eric Roberts. <laughs> the last thing I saw, um, the, the last thing I saw Eric Roberts in was Blackbird with Michael Flatley. <laughs> oh, the movie that you went to see that was so bad that you actually didn't even enjoy it. <laughs> It, was, <laughs> it says I, a lot. You know, everyone went in expecting it to be this kind of cult, so bad it's good masterpiece thing, and it it wasn't even that. It was pathetic. <laughs> Eric Roberts, God bless him. You know, he he's he's in something like a hundred movies a year, and I think Blackbird was one of them, and he does a perfectly fine job. <laughs> maybe not, <laughs> maybe not quite as good as um, The Dark Knight, but uh, no, yeah, he's he's pretty good. Yeah, no, and uh, I'm trying to see who plays Wonder Woman here in Justice League Unlimited, but it's it's not coming up for me. Susan Eisenberg, is it? Never Susan, would remember that. Susan Eisenberg, yeah. Susan Eisenberg, if you're listening, we apologize, and you are welcome to come on anytime. <laughs> you're welcome on. 
But yeah, overall, really solid episode. I would highly recommend it. Really enjoyable. If you've got 20 minutes, you just want a solid story based on a classic, classic Alan Moore book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, five out of five. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll give it four out of five just because of the Lois Lana thing that it just rubbed me a, a little bit the wrong way. And, and that line, this is everything I've ever wanted is to be back. I, I, you know, you know, I, I'm just still not, I'm not really there. Um, but it, it is a stunning uh, cartoon in its own right, and it's very emotionally affecting and great performances, great designs. Really liked all the continuity with Superman the Animated Series, actually. I like the way... Yeah, me too. He wakes up, and the little robot that's waking him up is like a Brainiac robot, because in, yeah. in the animated universe, Brainiac is like the, the AI that runs Krypton and then eventually uh, has a hand in, in Krypton's destruction. Uh, I really, really liked that. And I liked the way when they were battling around the Fortress of Solitude, um, you know, the, the geography of it is all very familiar to what we saw on the other, on the Superman cartoon. And the interplanetary zoo is in there. And, and a lot of the animals look similar to the way they did in that cartoon. Really, really liked all of that. So, yeah, no, gr great, great, great episode with a couple of minor nitpicks, but, you know, generally very, very good indeed. And I think they even brought back, I, I could be wrong about this, but I think they even brought back Christopher McDonald, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin, uh, to Shooter, play Jor-El. Or am Shooter I wrong? McGavin. I, I don't think you were wrong. Yeah, I, I kind of, kind of, he, he has a very distinctive voice and I, I feel like that was him in there. Interesting um thing about Christopher McDonald, Tim Daly, I only found out recently, plays a really prominent character on The Sopranos. He plays uh, one of Christopher's um, yes. AA buddies. The gambler, isn't it? The Gambler, yeah, yeah, that's that's Tim Daly. But then in another episode, well, I, I don't know, is Tim Daly just not available or something? Uh, Christopher has another uh, sponsor, and it's played by Christopher McDonald. So both Superman and oh, Jor-El wow. play uh, recovering alcoholics in The Sopranos. <laughs> um, so does that bring us to the end of our Black Mercy arc? Is there, is there, is there anything else you want to mention about the Black Mercy saga? I wanted to mention one other adaptation that we we possibly omitted. Um, it, it's a very loose adaptation, okay. and that is the episode of Superman and Lois. Um, it, I think it's called A Brief Interlude in the Middle of Catastrophic Events or something like that. And it's the one, it's it's the famous 11th episode from season one. Of season one. Where uh, Clark, or Superman is in the middle of having his consciousness replaced with General Zahads or something. And in the midst of that, he's having this beautiful flashback to um, the events that led to the show. So basically him starting the Daily Planet, meeting Lois, falling in love, and then having the, the, the boys. And what I think is just so great about that episode is that it kind of addresses the fundamental issue I have with the story, is that I think Superman has led a fulfilled life so why would he be fantasizing about living back on Krypton? Whereas yeah. in this version of the story, he isn't. He's going, you know what? I've had a great life. Let's let's flash back on it, uh, which I think is kind of cool. And I feel like they must have been, they must have known that that's what they were. Like, they must have been adapting that on purpose, I think. They, like, it's a very, very loose adaptation. But the general the general germ of the idea is the same, I think. And I, I, I like, if that's what they had it's in mind. A, it's such a wonderful episode. Yeah, if that's what they had in mind, I, I really appreciate that. And I think it was a good way to go about it. 
And it led to us seeing the Fleischer era suit. It led to a, a lovely part of that romance, that version of that romance that I love is that Lois falls in love with Clark. Um, yeah. The lovely scene where he hears her talking about Clark when she, after, you know, during the intermission of their interview and stuff. It's such a, even if you haven't seen the rest of the, of the show, I'd highly recommend any Superman fans check out episode 11. Um, I actually wanted to mention something as well, because you might shoot this down completely. Do you think there's any basis or any kind of thing reasoning behind uh, perchance to dream from mm. Batman, the animated series? Not too dissimilar. I mean, Batman lives kind of a fantasy life until things turn wrong due to I think it's it's the Mad Hatter, isn't it? It's the Mad Hatter. And I think the telltale thing in that version is reading. that reading. Yeah, it's 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 a really yeah. interesting kind of trippy thing. It's that when he reads a book, all the letters are jumbled and he can't make any sense of it. And then they, they come up with this cockamamie explanation that apparently you dream with the left side of your brain. That's right. And you read that's with right. the right side of it. As a kid, yeah. I was like, wow, that's so interesting. I never knew that. And now I'm kind of going, is that just bullshit that they made up for the cartoon? <laughs> I think it's bullshit. I think it's bullshit. But that's a fantastic um, episode. Yeah, they, they very well could have taken inspiration from that. I mean, they, they took a lot of inspiration from Superman stuff for that cartoon. So it wouldn't surprise me if that's where the, the idea came from, certainly. Yeah, really yeah, and that's that, that's one of my favorite episodes. I love I love that episode. But yeah, so that that brings us to the end of the Black Mercy saga, um, both in comic book form, animated form, and live action form. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed watching all the episodes. There was nothing that I didn't enjoy. Um, you know, sometimes we do these episodes, and there's like an episode of Superboy, or there's an episode of Supergirl that I don't think holds up or doesn't really do it for me. Like even the Superboy episode here, I really enjoyed it. it you know, Lex Luger. What wasn't a love? I thought I had a great time. That that's the only one where I was kind of like, "What are we watching here?" <laughs> and usually, <laughs> usually I'm the one. I'm the one defending yeah. the boy. Uh, the, the Lex Luger of it all when he comes down and he starts caressing Stacy Ijuk's face. I'm just, what is this? <laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, definitely, no, I, I really definitely glad it. we watched it all the same. No, definitely. So we might just do a quick Metropolis mailbag um, before we wrap up, Rob. What do you think? Sounds good. Let's go for yeah, it. We got a, we got a couple of the, Let's open up the sack of letters. <laughs> and we have a few uh, from friends of the podcast um, over the kind of the Christmas period and stuff um, that we didn't get to. So I'll, I'll just we'll just read some of them out here. Our first one is from my good friend Neil Jackson. Uh, he he sent us a letter saying, "Hey folks, just listen to your Superman Returns episode, and it's actually inspired me to get hold of a copy and watch again. I've actually warmed to it. The film uh, still has issues, and in particular, I found the beating he received excessively violent." Uh, more so the second time round. However, I'm pleased to say on second watch, I like it much more than Man of Steel. And that's from Neil. You know, Neil, we've mentioned Neil before. Neil is my friend. Uh, the good news with Neil, I'm happy to report that Neil is actually in remission at the moment. Thank God. So, um, yeah, he's he's feeling a lot better. But yes, that's we, we got a, we got we got great um, we got great response to the Superman Returns episode. Yeah, and and I, I do need to address the fact that I I've listened back to that one a couple of times because. I, I think there's great discussion in that episode, and I think uh, especially Matt, his reflections on the film uh, were mm. very powerful. I think I was maybe a shade more negative than I meant to be when we were talking about Superman Returns. <laughs> um, you know, I, there's a, there's a lot of stuff. There is a lot to be negative about. But that one, there is absolutely, yeah. But I I I feel like my my negativity was probably. Uh, a bit exaggerated uh, compared to what I actually feel. like. There's plenty of stuff. <laughs> there's plenty of stuff in that film that I 
I really like and really get excited by. I still think all the Daily Planet stuff is pretty great. And uh, Brandon Routh, as especially yeah. as Clark Kent, he's 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 really really good. Um, and I love the music. I think the music is just fantastic. And that bit where he saves the boat. I know everybody likes the bit where he saves the plane. For me, it's the bit where he saves the the boat and he kind of emerges out of the water. And it's all done in camera. There's no CGI or anything like that. Uh, I just think that that whole sequence is magnificent. It's one of my favorite Superman rescuing a thing scenes in anything i have to say so yeah lot, lot to lot to like about superman returns definitely so if you if you do thought you... jesus rob you're so negative on that movie that you know i i do appreciate an awful lot about it i have to say do you agree with neil's point that the um the beating that that superman gets by the goons by lex and the goons is excessively violent um it's excessively violent in the sense that it doesn't make a lick of sense yeah so... <laughs> that's that's where we had I'm this saying. discussion. <laughs> I still, yeah. I, I, and and again, that's another issue I have with that episode is that I don't think I fully explained properly what my problem there was. Okay. So, so sorry if, any, if people are probably sick to the back teeth of me giving out about this, but essentially the issue I have with it is Kryptonite should either be able to weaken him and make him really, really sick, but he can still overcome it and use his superpowers if necessary. That's one way of doing Kryptonite. The other way of doing Kryptonite is it just takes his powers away completely. And if if it takes his powers away completely, then he can't just suddenly overcome that and and fly it into space. It doesn't make any sense. So if it takes away his powers completely yeah. to the point where Lex is able to beat him up, then he shouldn't be able to just then turn around and go, oh, no, wait, I'm fine. <laughs> Lift it into space. That's always been my problem. And Matt and I made the counter argument about him kind of supercharging with the sun and stuff. And we won't go into it all again. But, that, but yeah, yeah. But how how could he super? How could he even fly up to the sun <laughs> if he lost his powers? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I get you. And I and actually, you. I sorry, I won't go on about this. But the, uh, the, there is a similar ish problem in Batman versus Superman with Kryptonite. Now it's not quite as egregious, but if my memory is correct in that, it's the same thing. Batman uses Kryptonite on him. And he loses his superpowers completely, and Batman's able to beat the shit out of him. But then later on, he's able to lift the Kryptonite spear and impale Doomsday with it. And you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like it's not it's not as bad as lifting a yeah. second asteroid into space. But anyway, need to figure out how Kryptonite works. In 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 regards to Superman Returns, and I think I said it in the Superman Returns episode, I, I did find that scene um kind of shocking as well. I, I remember even thinking at the time, God, this might be a bit much for small kids. But I remember thinking how powerful it was when the goons were dragging the Superman by his face and he shouted, I am still Superman. I thought that was that has I, always kind of stuck with me for some reason. I remember you saying that in the episode. I was like, <clears throat> I've watched that movie a bunch. Though. I don't remember him saying I'm still. Superman. Yeah, when 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 the goons hand, I, I can't remember the guy's name. It's not Cal Penn, but wh- whoever the big guy was, he's, his hand is kind of over his face and he kind of he, he kind of mumble shouts. And I looked it up afterwards, and you can, if you if you know what he's saying, you can hear it. But that's okay. what he he, he kind of shouts. I'm still Superman as he's been dragged across the ground. I always I always enjoy that. But Kryptonite, like the thing about Kryptonite is it 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 has bothered me in a lot of different iterations. Like even yeah. in Lois and Clark, like in the first episode of Lois and Clark, where yep. he's ex- exposed to Kryptonite, he's sick mm-hmm. for like four days. He has no powers. He yep. can't even lift a tea kettle. And ever since then, and I presume it's just because they can't allow they, they can't have a situation where he has no powers for three days every time he's exposed to it. You know, he he recovers straight away as soon as it's yeah. gone, as soon as it's covered, as soon as it's thrown down some um, drain or anything. He he's he's back to being Superman straight away, and that always yeah. bugged me. 
it, it is that that is an issue, and that's a perfect counter argument. The only thing I'd say there is like at least those things happen entire episodes apart from each other. Yeah, and and also yeah. you you know you could just say oh well maybe it's a different piece of kryptonite it affects them differently and you know well whatever like you know you, you can hand wave that a little bit, but when it's literally the same scene yeah. in the same movie like two seconds later that that's when I'm kind of like no 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 guys no no doesn't work gotta go back you know. I'm watching I'm watching Smallville at the moment and you forget like Smallville got kryptonite pretty much perfectly well you know well, except when it got crazy with like black kryptonite and you know sometimes you can use mm. the heat vision on it sometimes you can't and all that like well, I think we talked about that in the Lex episode a bit but for the most part it understands you know that, that they create an internal logic as to how kryptonite weakens him and you know yes he can kind of gather himself a little bit and, and stumble out of the room if he needs to but he's not like lifting it into space <laughs> yeah yeah no understand so we'll move on to our next letter is from mark witherspoon it reads hi guys happy new year to you just discovered your brilliant podcast thank you very much i have been a super fan since 1978 and followed and loved the character ever since your podcast is very entertaining and has great heart to it much like Superman himself. I've been working from home for the last two years and it gets a bit lonely with a dog that doesn't talk much. So appreciate the super company. I love messages like that. Thank you so much for sending that in and taking the time, Mark, out of your day to send that in. Um, our last email then is from very good friend of the podcast, Michael Bailey. It reads, Alan and Rob, I've been catching up on the show and I wanted to drop a line to let you know how much I've been enjoying the recent episodes. The Superman Returns episode with Matt was a lot of fun and brought back a lot of great memories from 2006. The movie, the comics, the DVD releases, the merchandise, definitely one of my favorite Superman years. I appreciated the balanced conversation. My views on the film line up with more with Alan and Rob's, <laughs> but I never begrudge anyone loving something that I don't. Hearing Matt's perspective didn't change my mind per se, but it did provide another perspective, which I usually enjoy. Thanks, Michael Bailey. And that's something that uh, we, we strive to try and do that, Rob, don't we? We try and, and, and bring a, a balanced conversation whenever whenever we really can. Try and get, like, if, if both of us don't like someone, we try, something, we try and get someone on who's who's the counter to that. <laughs> or do no, we? No, 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 we, we do. Like, it is important. And it's, it's you want it to be reflective of, you know, um, how people actually feel about this thing and... Yeah, yeah, it, it was definitely not, and and the thing about Matt as well, like it, it wasn't like he was trying to pretend like the film doesn't have flaws, which which I found to be really refreshing because yeah. you see that sometimes when someone likes something, they can't admit to themselves that there's anything wrong with it. Uh, I, you know, maybe we're yes. guilty of that with some stuff. I don't know, but like it, it's I, I much prefer to take the approach of, look, I know that this has problems and that some things don't make sense or some things are ill advised or whatever. I still like it anyway. And that's that's where yeah. I'm at with loads of superhero stuff. I, you know, I love Batman forever. People are always saying, what? Do you love Batman? I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what it is. And I love it. And I think it's great. And, you know, and Superman 4, perfect example. You know, that's a really, really bad film that I absolutely adore. You know, um, and, and I'm not saying Superman Returns is as bad as Superman 4, but I'd watch Superman 4 first. But, you know, it. I just think it's important to have that little bit of sort of self-awareness. And you see that with Matt's love of Lois yeah. and Clark as well. He'll he'll be the first to tell you that that's by no means a perfect show. It's got flaws everywhere you look, but it's it still means an awful lot to him. And uh, yeah, I just, and, and, and the same is true of Zach and, and so many of, the, of our colleagues that we've had on. I, I just I really like that sort of, you know, acknowledging that you love something, but also acknowledging its flaws as well. 
And, you know, just to acknowledge the fact that Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman has come to an end, but Matt has recently launched his new podcast, uh, Always Hold On to DC Legends of Tomorrow. So uh, go check that out wherever you listen to your podcasts. Um, Rob, is there anything else you want to chat about before we, we wind up? We've loads more coming up, so stay tuned and please uh, rate and review the show wherever you get it, because it does help, um, especially on Apple Podcasts, because that is a big uh component of a, a large percentage of our listeners are uh through apple podcasts in the u.s so if you're in the u.s and you listen by apple podcasts please leave us a review there you can also contact us on facebook at all-star superfan uh, on instagram at all-star superfan and on twitter at all-star superpod and if you want to be mentioned in the next metropolis mailbag segment send your email or voice note to all-star superpod at gmail.com you want to take us out rob um yeah yeah Remember, I had a thing at the start of the show and then we kind of stopped doing it for a while. And then you you have a sign off now. I can't remember what my <laughs> sign off was. Well, wherever to say, um, uh, if you ever need to find us, if you ever need to up. find us, just <laughs> look up. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>